going, guys? I'm Zeke. And I am Jake. And you're listening to the Cinema Sci-Show Podcast, episode 108. Very nice. Three, three in a row. Well, really, probably many in a row. Many in a row. Just three right? in a row since you've since we've noticed that we don't mention the number before we start. Wait, really? Well, just in the sense of, like, we don't say, all right, we're about to start episode 107. Usually we just start, and you're like, welcome to episode 107. I'm like, ah, oh, you remembered. Ah. Very nice. Yeah, well, you know, I do listen to our show, believe <laughs> no, it or fair, not, Jack. Fair enough, fair enough. 108. Very exciting, Zeke. Yeah, speaking exciting, of 108, Zeke. do you have a quote from 2008 for me? I do, Zeke, and I think you're going to like this film very much. Um, I know you like it very much, rather, but okay. I think you're going to like the quote. You are currently 5 for 2, so you've been in the lead by a fair bit, but not quite the, the HD high distinction no. you're looking for. That's quite all right. All right, the quote, Zeke, is the following. I don't drop character till I've done the DVD commentary. That is uh, Ben Stiller's Tropic Thunder. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> and you got to do it in the accent. I don't drop character until I do the DVD commentary. I think that's good enough. I, what I, do you mean, you people? I can't, <laughs> I can't follow up with that. Well, there you go, Zeke. You're six for two now. Yeah. Do you want me to do the math? No, Let's see. that's all right. Six. What well, would be six out of eight? Seventy-five percent. Seventy-five percent. Oh my god! See, I I don't even think about it. I just open the calendar. Yeah. Before I remember, like the math is ridiculously simple. So <laughs> <laughs> what's six out of eight? Uh, fair enough. Well, you're getting there. It's the HD. There's yeah. still time. There's still yeah, time. It's still time. Still time. I like oh. it. Well, Zeke, have you been watching anything in this last week? Uh, well, apart from um, continuing my final push finish the office for the first time that is really mm. all i've caught in the last week i've just started my master's degree in secondary education um so that is going to take up a lot of my time unfortunately so for a second i misheard you and i was like did you just say that you've started your secondary education and it <laughs> took me a second to realize no you're studying for secondary secondary yeah, education yeah so obviously Six in high school <laughs> yeah obviously the end goal becoming a media teacher in high school um so that's going to take up uh, a lot of my time in the next two years so surely half your role once you're done is just play these podcasts to your students you don't yeah. have to do anything well that was like we actually started a, a shift like a, an unknown shift i like pushed it to you off the show right but obviously the longer we continue this podcast the more we have to shift from like swearing on it mm. so we can't do that at all because yeah there might be a time where i will be able to implement it in the classroom yeah and can't be, be having great. those swear words in the. Uh, I want. I want. We've always been pretty. G- if you play it on the in the class, I, we've always been pretty good on this show. Actually, like it's never been a big issue. I think probably the better. First, like what's that? We've uh, we've uh, been pretty good. You're right. Um, like just overall, I think we've done pretty well. Yeah. I think the first, you know, you go back and watch first, listen to the first fifty episodes. There's probably a little bit more language in there, and there is the explicit yeah. tag on it. Um, yeah, all the episodes are labeled explicit um, on Spotify, just to be like. safe. But, um, yeah, I don't think it's been a really big problem, definitely for at least 20 or 30 episodes. There might be mm. the occasional one in there, but it's never been you, It's for bad. effect, Zeke. <laughs> it's for effect. Yeah, and hopefully one day we'll be able to just <laughs> siphon it out completely and remove it from the, the vocab of the show. Yeah. We do enough of it in person. So. Well, that's a, it's, a, that's a, it's a personal, uh, not restriction, but, you know, like... We have to police it ourselves. Yeah, in our day to day life, I yeah. suppose. And also, I think I think it actually helps in terms of analytical purposes. You know, I think 
words like that, unfortunately, I think do occasionally take away from analysis and, you know, they sort of sully your opinion a little bit if you're having to use them as filler words right. or transitioning That's words. That's fair. You want you one of those guys? It's like, oh, if you you're less intelligent if you swear. I think your <laughs> point can be perceived as less intelligent for sure. I think it's a slang word. I think. Um, yeah, but it, the words themselves are so good. Oh yeah, they're great. You know, I still never actually watched that Nick Cage Netflix show. I've watched about half of it, the okay. history of swear words. Um, I think every episode's about five or six minutes too long. I think. Okay. I'm. The ah, linguistic origins of the words are very interesting, but they're about 20-minute episodes, and they probably should only be about 15. Um, they're funny to an extent, but I do... Th- they get a bunch of comedians on there to talk about the, the important, like, how yeah. they use them in stand-up, which is actually quite relevant. But mm. I don't know. I just don't think there was enough substance, but that's just my opinion. Well, speaking of getting celebrities to talk about very specific things, I rewatched The Big Short this past week. I just mm. wanted to throw it out there because, uh, no, we've had a debate, Zeke, on the show about you much prefer The Big Short over Vice, and I was the other way around. But i got to say, re-watching The Big Short, and I mostly did it because of the whole GameStop stock that's been, mm. situation has been happening. I, that stuff is all fascinating to me. But rewatching The Big Short, I was like, this is pretty excellent. Yeah. Like, I can't lie. And I a lot of people make fun of Adam McKay. Like, oh, he just makes a meme out of stocks. It's like, I kind of hate this perception of, like, Memes didn't only just exist five minutes ago, mate. Okay? Like, this style of... There's, like, a comedic energy to the whole film. And it's like, Universal were making, basically, meme YouTube poops in the 30s. I I think it comes back to he walks a line between comedy... He walks the perfect line between comedy and tragedy. Like, Mm. there is definitely a weight and horror that is, like, a looming cloud over both Vice and... um, Big Short. Big Short. Unfortunately, I feel like in Vice, the subject matter at points is just so dark that the comedy just feels not like without taste um, occasionally. Mm, okay. Um, I don't. We we did do that in this. Yeah, we did do that in the show. We didn't do either of them as like a film of the week. No, but we did talk about. We've Vice. had this debate before. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think yeah, there were parts of. Um, Vice that I just was... He takes the genre-breaking conventions too far. I think it's the big thing that I right. was frustrated with. Like the whole mid-credits or credits. Mid-film early. credits yeah, thing. Yeah, mid-film credits, that's um, But to, to his credit, he, the way that he manages to sort of dumb down all of these like big political or financial terminologies mm. and stuff with these... With a, with a kind of a funny twist to them i really like that i think it's really clever it's like standardizing something that to be honest people who just you know only lived through it 10 years earlier didn't know what was going on they just knew the economy crashed basically and they didn't really comprehend how and why and they had theories but Mm. this film helps sort of standardize and make you understand it i mean for us yeah what's happening when the gfc hit it did hit in australia but didn't hit nearly as hard as it did in america right but we were only 10 or 11 when that happened, so... Yeah, yeah. In 2007, so for us, that stuff just went right over our head. Um, well, I didn't I didn't know it existed until, like, I heard about it, like, later. I was like, yeah. oh, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a year that people... Was, was 2007 or 2008 when it actually, like, all yeah. went down? Yeah. Well, was it, yeah, around that time period. And I did economics in high school, and we did right. discuss it. Um, 
but for the most part we talk about how it did hit us but we were definitely subsidized because we just hit our mining boom too mm. so we kind of got a bit of a softer blanket approach to right. it so within two or three years we were bouncing back whereas you know if you watch films like um you know nomadland that was fallout from the gfc mm. like that character was based in that and yeah even if the film wasn't really about that necessarily it was the foundation for the film yeah exactly it's the catalyst it, it, the, if the film wouldn't exist without it you're right exactly so, so um and and to your point i think a lot of people are now googling what is a short based on <laughs> like there's a lot of new um there's a lot of new interest rebound mm. from the GameStop stuff, so I think the performances um, are yeah. Huge. Oh, they're great. They're so fun. Like, I but think I Car- love Carell's performance well. in that is one of the strongest. Mm. In, but I like I love him in both of them in both Vice and in um in Big Short. In, yeah, I mean Big Short. I forgot he was in Vice as well. That's true. He's horrible in Vice. Yeah, yeah, he's a yeah. monster in Vice. <laughs> <laughs> well, you always think about um obviously Christian Bale, but you think about um uh Sam. Sam? Sam? Um, God, how am I blanking on this now? Sam Rockwell. Jesus. Mm. I always remember him as well as, um, <laughs> as uh, Bush. But no, I mean, what I took away... Again, like I liked the film enough when I first watched it, but I just took so much more away from it mm. this time. It's been, what, nearly three years now since I've seen it? And um, I just like the energy of it, like we're saying, and just I like that there's sort of this looming thing where this is a horrible thing that they're betting on, that the economy's going to crash... But there's still that, oh, well, you know, everyone's telling them they're morons and they're going to get their comeuppance soon, which they kind of deserve because, you know, they're these head bankers who are too ignorant to notice what's happening. Mm-hmm. So there is a bit of a, ha, you know, screw you. My protagonist is correct. But it's like the cost of being correct is like horrible. Yeah. And, and they all know it. They're all miserable by the end of the film. When they're like, oh, crap, I wish I was not right about this. Yeah. I don't know. The big short's excellent. Um yeah, I'm um, glad you've changed your tune on it. Yeah, no, I mean, look, I, I've always liked it, but mm. I'm I'm kind of more with you in that. Is it better than Vice? Uh, probably is. It, it would be nice to do an episode if we have a spare week to yeah. kind of look back on Vice and and Big Short and sort of retrograde them. Do a McKay corner eventually. A McKay corner because <laughs> like his it. career is fascinating. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah. You think about where he started to where he is now I mean, yeah he's, his letterbox looks very strange you, know, you go <laughs> the from, kinds of films you go from anchorman to to uh now with vice and still having Corell in all of those films is kind of yeah, crazy that's when you, true when you yeah, think good, about that call um he likes steve Corell. we actually has very consistent cast members i mean mm. even between the two serious films big short and, and vice. bales and both of them yeah. yeah yeah he's got a he clearly has i mean all directors have consistent people yeah yeah yeah. so you know he's no different it's just really funny with mckay in particular to have these absurdist films like anchorman and then which still have strange history lessons in them too um particularly the second film where it talks about the evolution of how news went from being you know broadcast to entertainment yeah i actually i like that scene in i don't like anchorman 2 that much people know but I do like that scene when it sort of clicks for you when they're following the car chase. You're like, oh, crap, this is a bit of a transition period. Like, the first one is for having a woman anchor. Mm-hmm. That was also a bit of a transitional period for you. Right, news becoming entertainment. So yeah. There's some strange history lessons embedded <laughs> in this absurd, crazy yeah. film, um, which is kind of 
consistent at least between yeah, big short and vice just obviously way more serious subject matter and more serious performances but yeah there is definitely the you know, tone yeah, the tone <laughs> changes um unfortunately yeah apart from the film of the week i've stuck with my tv sort of lockdown phase um, well that's a good point we haven't even mentioned yet that we've been locked down for the last week yeah this is our first day yeah out of lockdown which is kind first of, full day yeah yeah um i put a little thing at the beginning of last week's episode just letting everyone know stay safe we're back in lockdown mm-hmm. we'll see how we go next week but obviously we're we're very lucky and we're back on the air so yeah so um i've just continued my run of the office i am now yeah. we've just discovered i'm an episode or two behind you yeah we're both up to sort of the early robert california days of season eight mm-hmm. um you're definitely going to surpass me because it's like we only watch it like once a week typically if not Less than that. Yeah, I do think by next week I would have concluded the show. Finished the show, yeah. Um, which is just as well because Parks and Rec just got added onto Netflix too. Yeah, so it did. I, <laughs> Netflix seriously in Australia has a monopoly on like sitcoms. On and... sitcoms right now, they have literally everything. They have Brooklyn Nine Nine as well. Yeah, yeah, I got to get onto that. Brooklyn Nine Nine, and, and season seven is going to be released in two or three days, I think. Wow, very soon. I think it's Jeez. within this month. I just checked. That's nuts. Um, so. Yeah, they've got that. They've got Friends. They've got How I Met Your Mother. They have yeah, every... Friends was recent as well, wasn't it? Yeah. They got it back not long ago, yeah. So they've got literally all of them. Like, all of those major from aughts to now sitcoms. Yeah, from like, the last two decades, really. And yeah. that kind of blew my mind, because I was like, how are they getting all of these? Because, but I guess they... Well, that, you may... That, that maybe they have a focus. Maybe they're just trying to get that well, mass you, bingeability. You, you raised an interesting point, because this is specifically australia's netflix where mm. for example the office actually left the u.s netflix the pretty much the day that we got it yeah. so it's actually kind of a big shift depending on which country you got and it just happens australia has mm. almost all of the notable sitcoms by now i'm i'm enjoying um obviously the post michael scott era of mm. the show i do think it's starting to begin its slow descent into right. finishing up on the show because obviously i mean one of the credits to the office is with and this is a factor of all sitcoms when they reach their their final stages major actors who've gained so much traction from the show leave the show Mm. and um you know shows like community often acknowledge that you know when you're hemorrhaging characters you know they're just leaving you know obviously losing steve carell who's like the cornerstone of the u.s office was like, oh, how's this show going to go on? But I, I think there's enough there. I mean... The characters sort of, definitely carry their own show, uh, I reckon. To bring, obviously, like you said, James Spader's character becomes a regular fixture of the show. Yeah. Um, Ed Helms is still on the show, and I think he runs it out, so he goes to the end of the show, and people I like know Krasinski and... We're not up to it yet. I know there's like a nine or ten episode period where he disappears... And that's to shoot the Hangover Part Three. Oh, there you go. Um, I know that's coming up at some point for both okay. of us, but yeah. But I definitely think that there's enough there to, to keep it going. But you can tell there's only about thirty or so episodes left in the show. It's coming towards the end, yeah. Um, and which I was impressed. I, I looked at season nine. Season nine still got twenty three episodes, and I was like, f- for a last season to have pretty much the same amount of episodes as I think they knew going in they wanted it to be the last season. I think the cast actually requested it be the last season. Mm-hmm. So I think the it's very self-aware season nine in terms of the length and because normally content, yeah normally yeah. shows that finish kind of more abruptly only have twelve thirteen episodes they yeah. have much 
or lately they go longer like bojack had like nearly well not double but like bojack and, and breaking bad they they go out of their way to add more episodes in that last season mm-hmm. which should probably be two seasons really i would count breaking bad as both of them as two seasons technically i think breaking bad is hallmarked as two different seasons uh, in terms of a production it's schedule a thousand percent but and even the dvds yeah, they're separate releases season. yeah fifth and final season it, they, they literally call just call it 5b and i don't know why i think it's because they shot them in closest succession yeah but th- there's nothing about them that are the same season yeah they just so, call it it <laughs> um yeah but it's look it, my opinions kind of stayed the same the whole way through. There are parts I enjoy. There are episodes I find really funny, but it just hasn't broken that next level. Um, I probably will visit Parks and Rec, but I've had a lot of binging recently on TV, so I yeah. think I'm ready to switch back to, to film. And I normally do that. I go through phases of just TV or just film. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I often don't. Which isn't good for your letterbox account. <laughs> no, it makes it look bland and, and empty. Yeah, because unfortunately, yeah, you can't rate TV shows um, on on there, and not most miniseries aren't even on there. There's yeah, some. There's but... a, yeah, there's a few. And people keep changing their one division score every Friday. <laughs> they watch one episode and change the score. And I've heard something happens in episode four. I need to just. I'm oh almost, yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm yeah, almost yeah. gonna wait until it finishes and just watch it all in one hit. Yeah, I'm so. I've managed to avoid You would get spoilers. a kick out of what happens in episode five, the one that came out just the other day. You would get a kick it annoys, out of that. But it, what annoys me is, like, we've talked about it every week on the show, how frustrated people were in the first few episodes, and it's like, I feel like we've lost that patience. Like, Well, they've definitely... Look, I get it because they're in that part of the show now when, like, everything's getting sort of explained and all of the real quote-unquote tension of the overarching story, it's all there now. So people aren't complaining anymore. But I'm also like, I kind of wish it went even a little longer with yeah. just the traditional sitcom stories. Yeah. But then on the flip side, like friend of the show, I was talking to Jack Bett yesterday about it. And he was like, I hate the first three episodes, which I was a little shocked because he tends to like, like that weird off the road shit. So mm-hmm. I was a little surprised that he hated those episodes. So yeah. Maybe there's credence to it. I, I don't know. Yeah. I think it frustrates me that people just seem to have... They, they nowadays seem to lack that patience. patience. Yep. Um, Jinx. <laughs> no, it is. It, it's like... Because, you know, 15 years ago, you would have just taken this at face value and just sort of indulged in it a little bit more. Yeah. And it's like the fact that people were complaining so much that they don't get all six episodes or is it six episodes? It's nine. It's nine, nine episodes in one hit. Yeah. They have to wait weekly. It's like you had to do that, you know, less than five or six years ago, you right. know? And nowadays it's like, oh, I'll give it. And I don't know. The funny thing is WandaVision's had a lot of protests with that. I don't think the Mandalorian did. I think no, it, no one complained about the Mandalorian. Um, but maybe that was because there was because enough stimulating I, content every week well to... that, that's the thing it, it was less experimental now you can argue it's experimental from the sense that oh you know you don't see a lightsaber for the first like season and a half or this or that or they mm-hmm. don't mention the Jedi like it's experimental in that it doesn't do what the features do mm-hmm. but in terms of the type of show it is and being an action adventure show mm-hmm. it's not experimental at all it's straight up like here's the fun parts of the show and they first episode they give you plenty of that so yeah, absolutely. that's why people didn't complain got nominated for an Emmy, yeah, or a Golden Globe. Golden Globe, sorry. but it got it got nominated last year for an Emmy. Like that, I'm not surprised by that. Hmm. 
But um, it's nice. It's nice to yeah, see. Yeah, yeah. I think it might. It's got a chance. To no, win. no, no. It's going to go like the crown or something. Well, we can talk about that in a minute. Okay. There's Have one. You... <clears throat> there's one thing I want to talk about that I speaking of binging and TV mm. shows and stuff. I watched Euphoria finally. Saw that. That'll tie into our film of the week. It discussion. will. So the show creator and the very common director and the writer, or at least co-writer for every episode, is Sam Levison. Who you're right. We'll talk about more well, soon. It's two episodes, isn't it? So there's how does this work? There's eight episodes. That's season one, and then they did two specials that they shot during COVID. So part one, part two, thing. part one, part two. Yeah. So it's sort of the two lead actresses get uh, basically a bottle episode to themselves. I think like the Fly from Breaking Bad or something like that. Okay. Where one episode's in a bar, one's in a therapy session, and um, I actually really love it because it's such a stark difference to what in terms of the thematic cinematography direction that the show has, mm-hmm. which is way more flashy and interesting and there's these cool transitions all the time and, and the cinematography's quite wild in your face, but it's very it's very good. What's it on? It's on Foxtel, isn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I watched it on binge. You can get a 14-day like binge subscription yeah. sort of thing. I found the browser works really weirdly, but I, I bypassed it. Um, yeah, so you can watch it through binge and... I think it's really... So this is the episodes and the specials. Yeah. And the second special only came out like a week ago. So it's in close succession to his feature, the new feature, of course. But like I said, I think I love it for its like flashiness. It feels like... I hate comparing it to this, but I have to. It feels like 13 Reasons Why Done Correctly in terms of the sort of the drama, the high school drama of it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel corny. The writing's not crap. It's actually like really well written. And it actually generally takes these paths of like you know this is how this is how messed up kids lives can be these days but it doesn't it doesn't glamorize it it doesn't make it like comically bad doesn't make it socratic yeah well it's like you you got the character you're like oh that character is clearly like the bryce of this show but he's also not like so hilariously evil like bryce is so evil that it's laughable Mm -hmm. like it's just such a cartoon character and it's like this character at least there's motivation behind why he does certain things that for some characters is kind of a dickish move, but for other characters, not so much. Like, it just, all the characters feel, they're way better written, and they all feel lived in. So it, it's not this self-awareness of like, oh, our lives are horrible. When we're out of high school, things would be better. It's like, no, there's no sense of that at all. And there's no sense of the characters being like, I just need to escape. There is a bit of that, but it's not so in your face that it, it feels like these problems are actually like authentic problems. So mm. I loved it for that. I mean, the characters are really great, especially, you know, the two of these rude play by um, Zendaya. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you've got Jules, who I want to just quickly grab the actress's name uh, because she actually co-wrote her own episode um, with Sam Levinson for her special, Hunter Schaefer, that's it. Um, and that's a great episode in itself, which sort of explores that character trying to achieve femininity. She's a, um, a trans woman. And see, this is how, this is how you hire um, people of diversity. Not how Sia does it, where she just yells at people instead. <laughs> but yeah, I, I thought it was really excellent. Um, it just, again, it reminds me of like the artistry is in TV these days. Mm-hmm. There's so much artistry that you find on TV. It was like kidding. You know, kidding is also very interesting with the way it's directed, the way it's shot, the way it's edited. There's just a lot of artistry and thought put into it that 10 years ago, you would only ever see that in a movie. Yeah. Like a really artsy well, indie this is film. Where our yeah, where our discussion comes in how to I think we talked about it a little bit earlier on the show is how something like The Office has such mm. 
uh, you know, star power and, and, and stuff. And it's sort of interesting, you know, that was coming at a time where being on, on television was definitely deemed the lesser craft. Um, right. It wasn't as important as being on in the movie theater. No, no. And I do think that ideal, like that ideology shifted and shows like Breaking Bad and um, Game of Thrones and Mad Men, they were definitely the shift because the only real show that sort of stuck out, you know, prior to that was something like The Sopranos or The Wire were the two. And The Wire was a sleeper hit. The Wire's only got its affirmation kind of following Breaking Bad. Yeah, well, because of Breaking Bad and stuff like that. I wouldn't say because. People talked about before Breaking Bad finished. Yeah, and okay, fun. But But I know what you mean. Yeah, a show like that. Or, you know, honestly, shows like Walking Dead in its earlier seasons definitely mm, started true. to push too. Um, but that shift didn't come until, like, the early... Probably the early 2010s. Like, that sort of was when, I think, yeah, we started yeah. to consider TV to be um, on par or coming up. I think nowadays it's on par. I think back then it was starting to surge. Um, oh, I think shows like this proved to me that the it is more common to find TV with more artistry. I mean, watching this, it felt like a music video at times. Yeah. Because music videos, like, you you can do whatever the hell you want in a music video. And, I mean, this show almost literally turns into one at the end of season one. I mean, but, I think yeah. it comes back to the discussion of when people leave TV shows back in sort of the 2000s and 2010s. They left shows because they got film opportunities. Right. And nowadays, you'll find that TV actors are almost, like, given the same sort of, you know, on-par treatment. And they don't leave shows. They just go to other TV shows normally. Right. Like, I mean... I mean, the big break point was um, Matthew McConaughey and Woody Harrelson absolutely. doing a season of TV. Oh. Like, that was a huge moment. And it was a little later in the transition, but you're right. It was... it's, but it's a prime example yeah. Of, of, yeah, the, the, the shift going back. Yeah. People like David Fincher doing, you know, Mindhunter yeah. and stuff like that, you know, like... House of Guards back in the day. Exactly. So it's like they're people that are like, oh, we can bring this sort of, you know, artistry from cinema into television. Like they mm-hmm. don't have to be mutually exclusive forms. They can, you know, work with each other in sort of unison. Mm-hmm. And we should be able to get the quality of cinema that we get from that in television. And I think we're at that stage now where we definitely can have that, especially with series. Maybe still not quite with with full season shows, but definitely with mini series or like you, or like smaller seasons. Like that's the deal. That's the key. Mm. Like, I don't think you can get the quality of cinema over 22 or 23 episodes a season. Well, sure. When's the last time a show has been 20 plus episodes? That's exactly it's been a yeah. long, long, long time. That's where the, exactly. that's where, that's when the formulas shifted. They realized, yeah. Oh, we can get that quality, but we have to keep it to eight to 10 episodes. Yeah. I think is Which the... is, I think is a perfect double win. Because I don't want to sit here for, like, what, 15 hours watching one season of an average show when I can instead watch eight hours of a fantastic show. Well, you bring up 13 Reasons Why, and it's like 13 Reasons Why it had to have 13 episodes. <laughs> and it really and it shows. Drags. It shows, because yeah. there'll be moments of, like, cinematic brilliance, but then there'll be such flat episodes where nothing happens, and it's like... Or there'll be periods of time where the writing just becomes that Socratic feeling that used to exist with shows like One Tree Hill or 90210, you know? It's like, <laughs> One Tree Hill, I love it. Uh, yeah, that's fair enough. Well, yeah, like I said, I think Euphoria is excellent. It's going to come up a little bit more in our Film of the Week discussion, which, you know, we'll get to, but 
yeah, I thought it was great. And if you want to watch it, go and binge, get your 14-day free trial. I haven't really looked at what else is on there, but it looks like a lot of Fox Hell stuff has mm-hmm. made its way over to binge. But no yeah. Now, Zeke. Yes. Before we move on, I want to talk a bit about this. Last week, we've had a huge sort of reel of news in terms of the award season buzz. Yep. Um, we've had the Golden Globes nominations, which have come really late. You know, this time last year, we were basically on the week of the Oscars. And now we're only just getting our Golden Globe nominations. Kind of crazy. It's insane. It's insane how longer everything's taking. But I get it. You know, we've the last week we've had to be reminded mm-hmm. of why all these delays Got are put happening. put in our place. Yeah, I know. We've got our mask on the table. How did my mask end up all the way there? Jesus. Oh, I'll just wear it later. <laughs> um, anyway, so yeah, Golden Globe nominations. Uh, I'm going to run through those more than the SAGs. I will say, notably, the SAGs loved uh, Minari. Way, way, way more. Minari got tons of uh, nominations. It's actually up for the um, Best Ensemble cast, which is sort of the... Actually, I just want to quickly run through the sad... Oh, you know what? I'll do it after. I'll do it after. Let's talk about the Globes first. Yep. So I quickly wrote down a list of snubs, complete snubs. These films got zero nominations in any category. And again, just a reminder to everyone, the Golden Globes, it focuses more on direction and performances than, say, something like editing or cinematography, those slightly more technical categories the globes mm-hmm. doesn't do that which i think is a bit strange but we'll get to that uh so the stumps here include baby teeth which is no surprise i i would be surprised if they even got um, you mean the golden choc top winner the golden choc top winner 20 yeah you don't they don't need any other no acclimate this is it top no. award um to be fair i'm not surprised but i'm pretty sure they didn't like even submit to the uh, hollywood for foreign press i think that's who does the globes uh never really sometimes always Duffy Bloods, I'm thinking of anything's First Cow, Malcolm and Marie, Shirley, Swallow, King of Staten Island, Ammonite, and The Invisible Man. So these films got zero nominations. Just wanted to point them out. Um, we'll get to something like The King of Staten Island. Oh, and On the Rocks. Oh, no, I take that back. On the Rocks got one nomination. We'll get to that. Um, but there's going to be a few things I'm going to say when we get to the uh, mm-hmm. best comedy or musical category. But uh, yeah, any thoughts? On any of those? Any surprises? Some of them... I mean, some of those films we just didn't like. But it's frustrating to see. Yeah. I'm, think, I'm thinking of ending things, not get a single nod. Yeah. Um, I think that would do better in, like, the, the technical editing categories. I think... If it gets any Oscar noms. Yeah. I mean, that film makes me want to watch more Kaufman-directed films. Mm. Like, that's what I got out of that. I enjoyed it so much. Um, it got a nod in my favourites of 2020. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, I think it was the top of my category if i recall um or second one or two yeah, one or two like that, yeah. um five bloods i liked but it was not even close to my favorite spike lee film yeah um, a lot of people are really upset about that and and to be fair the five bloods is doing much better at the sags i think it's up for best ensemble cast for stunts i think uh, Chadwick Boseman got nominated. I, the league but it's nominated. like yeah, out of the two Boseman performances from last year, yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. I would give it to him in that over yeah. The Five Bloods. Um, and I think Spike Lee films are always consistently good. Yeah, there's I can't think of one that I've watched that I was like, yeah, I didn't like that at all. But you know, even in the last, I think Black Klansman was better. Um, you know, I've watched so many of his films that I enjoyed just more. But I yeah. still really liked Darfur Bloods, but that's what I'm so that's he has such a high bar for me. Right, okay. So you, you weren't like wholly impressed by that one film. No. The rest of the But his it's category. like I mean, give credit. I mean the the dude the dude's just really good at filmmaking, so Yeah, yeah. Um 
and yeah, I I, I would say if I was to give Bozeman a, a shout out, it's got to be Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, not not Duff Hard Bloods. Yeah, fair enough. Well, he definitely got nominated in that area. Um, yeah, the only thing I'm surprised, I'm I'm kind of glad that Ammonite's not getting any love. I don't think it deserves it. Um, again, the Invisible Man, I think it might get one or two technical mm. nods later. Um, never really, sometimes, always. I thought if it was going to get any love, it would be at the Globes. Mm-hmm. But I think the fact that it's not going to be in the comedy section, because that's the thing, is films like that, if you look at last year's comedian uh, or uh, comedic and musical category for performances, especially the female one, it was a much more interesting category. You had like Kate Blanchett from uh, Bernadette. You had Amadi Arnes from uh, Knives Out. You know, you had Rocket Beanie. Man, that got a lot of love, didn't it? Was that the year yeah, before? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that was last year. That was okay. last year. Um, so yeah, Taryn Edgerton got love. I'm talking about the female category. Female category, category though. And even, um, obviously, Aquafina won for The Farewell, which mm-hmm. was awesome. Um, but yeah, even like Beanie Fields, um, like, there was a great, great, great category last year that you would never see in the Oscars because they were all more like comedic performances. Yeah. So I think if Never Really Sometimes Always was considered a comedy, and it's definitely not, no. then I think there would have been a better chance for like Sidney Flanagan to get a nomination or something like that. Um, yeah, but you couldn't even peg that as a... Yeah, no. uh, Not even remotely no, as a comedy. It's definitely um, drama. And I think drama has more competition. No, it, it always does. Yeah, but yeah. I think... Um, yeah, obviously, we knew this was going to happen with Baby Teeth. Um, and it's really frustrating. I know it got a lot of... It got a lot of love at the... was the, the actors. actors yeah. so, and I think that's going to be as far as... I'm more as than it, fine with that. It dominated the actors. Yeah, as long as so, we know over here how good it is, then um, that's fine. I don't think it's going to get any... If it can get one nomination at the Oscars, just one, I'll be happy. Yeah. Whether that's, one of those whether that's Eliza Scanlon for a nomination or, or Ben Mendo getting one. Yeah. Like, any, not, of that, or any of that quartet, like, getting one nomination or yeah. even a, a original screenplay, though. That would be cool. Um, that would be nice. Like, just something like that. If it can walk out with one nomination, I'll be happy. But it's and that's what's frustrating. Maybe it might get it at the uh, was the independent. What Spirit Awards? What's the one what are you that? About? What's the one that uncut gems? Was it where Adam Sandler went up there? Oh, that was Sags. They've already answered. Oh, okay, well there you go. There's def- there's nothing there. That's <laughs> oh, frustrating. Yeah, I think Sag they gave all of their um, nominations was like the Minari cast because there's no Minari in the Golden Globes. Oh, it, it comes back to it comes film. back to my frustration with the foreign film award. Right. That just because it's the whole thing is it has to be over 50 percent um the spoken dialogue is not english well i think the, i think the rules are different for the globes okay, but, but it's it's a similar for the oscars claim. that's yeah. the rule and i don't think that's fair at all i think that's that's not the right i think like you sh- i do agree you can only nominate one per country and if yours just doesn't get nominated for your country then that's tough bickies but it should be if the film's made in your country, it's a foreign film to the US. Like, that's what it is. Yeah. Well, the, the term they use now is international film. But that's even more to your point, I think. Yeah. Because it's like the best Australian film every year might not be a film that's, you know, like right. in a foreign language. It's like, or an, an international language, if you want to brand it that. I mean, I think the best film that came out of Australia this year was quite clearly and acknowledged by Australia was Baby Teeth. And the yeah. fact that that can't get put into the international category at all because it's all in English is is a little frustrating because it's, yeah. it's such a technicality when it's clearly an Australian film. 
Yeah, I don't know. I just, I think, like, if they're going to submit something like Baby Teeth that is fully in English and it was just produced in Australia, it's like, well, not every film in the other categories is specifically American. Sometimes you have English films in there or, mm-hmm. you know, 1917, that's not an American film, but it yeah. dominated at all these awards last year. Um, so I think, and I'm not saying this is how it should be done, but I think the way it is done is, like, they're not going to consider Baby Teeth a foreign film because it's in English and Australia is a enough of a first world recognizable country that they're going to watch it and just be like, oh, you know, it's it's not local, but it's, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's a first yeah. world country. It's just really, fr- <laughs> it's frustrating. Cause, and if it's in English, then it's, yeah. Because I feel like it's pigeonholing that category a little bit. Yeah, I mean, that category has always been sort of a weird yeah. thing. Even with, like, Parasite at the Oscars last year, just sort of transcending that category. But, um, I don't know, it's weird. You're right, but I think something's yeah, done about it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm still in the camp that they should just split director, male and female. Just have ten directors. I'm still in that camp. Do it. it okay. I mean, it, the fact that there's an actor and actress category, we don't have some bias like, oh, well, this character's better. Uh, category is better than this category. Yeah, it's probably fair. So it's like if you had a male director, female, it's like you could probably. But then bypass. there are people, but people there are motioning be... to merge that category too. Yeah, but it's like. But why would you merge something that's just gonna, like? There's no better or worse. All that's going to happen if you merge those categories is they're just going to nominate more men and people are going to get angry. That's all that's going to happen if they well, merge those the categories. Well, the fact is, it's, it comes back to, yeah. It's a real... It's Honestly, yeah, creating... Splitting it is probably the best way to do it. Yeah. The only reason I would be fine with them splitting if it was in response I to... I guess the frustration comes say from... Like, the- say, like, a transgendered actor or, or someone who's non-binary, like, if that becomes, like, part of the conversation... That's the only way I can see them doing it. Otherwise, I think they shouldn't do it because it's just inviting more controversy at this point. Yeah. It's going to be interesting when that when they come to that fork in the road because that mm. will happen eventually. And it'll happen very soon. Yeah. I reckon it will. All right. Well, let's blast through these categories very quickly. So for Best Animated Feature, we have The Croods, A New Age, Onward, Over the Moon, Soul, and Wolf Walkers. Um, Over the Moon's on Netflix, so I'm going to watch that soon. But I think you and I both know what's going to win Soul pretty easily. Yeah, Soul's going to crush it. Soul looked great. That yeah, was, that like was visually, the, yeah. That's as, that's as, I mean, you can go Look, back to our review. We didn't hate it, but yeah, it was a very, very it enough, mid-tier though. Pixar for us. I mean, it's better than Onward. Yeah. So. Oh! Some people some people would disagree with that, but I, I think it's... I found Onward kind of fun, though. Yeah, fun, but I mean, a lot of people are looking at this for its more philosophical. It's directed yeah. by Pete Doctor. There's, you know... So I've seen this in Inside Out and just sort of like... Eh. But no, that's I've, fair I enough. talked about it. No, it's on, fair enough on that episode. But I, I definitely think, like, from what I'm hearing, because I, you know, I watch a lot of obviously videos, general like, consensus. I would assume Soul gets a higher rating than yeah, of Onward. Course. Did I have more fun with Onward? Probably. I mean, look at look at Souls. Are they both even, even in the league of, of that movie? Of, are they both in the league of Wally? Nah. No. <laughs> or Ratatouille. Basically, that, that well, what would we call it? There's like the Power Five. There's like five. Four, there's ki- like there's four films in a row where they just like, nailed it. Like Ratatouille, like, Wally, Up, and Toy Story 3. I like it's perfect films. Yeah, it was like a consecutive. And I think the one before that was, that oh, was Cars, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> it was Cars. Uh, some people like Cars. Yeah. I don't mind Cars so much. Cars is fun. But, you know, we're not comparing it to other Pixar films. We're comparing it to The Croods and Over the Moon. And these films that a lot of other people just aren't going to watch. They're yeah. not going to watch I didn't them, even so. watch the first Croods. And I have no intention of watching the second one. So I think we, I mean, we'll we'll probably revisit this the week before they have the showcase and mm-hmm. the announcements. But 
I think Seoul's obviously going to win. That's not going to change. Nothing's going to change about that. I'm always keen to watch things like Over the Moon, something I've never heard about, because that could have that I lost my body effect. Oh, yeah. Could watch sure. it and be I like... I could. Yeah. Absolutely could. Yeah. I'll watch it probably this week, Over the Moon. Um, best foreign language film. You have another round. You have La Llorona. You have The Life Ahead, Minari, and Two of Us. Um, I think, and this is kind of selfishly just in the sense that we really haven't heard of a lot of these. Mm. We know of another round. We know of Minari. They're both playing pretty soon Yeah. Um, this month here in Australia. I mean, we watched so. the trailer for another round before we went and saw... Uh, Promising Young Woman. Promising Young Woman. And it looked good. I mean, Mad Mickelson's in it. Um, but it I think Minari... Is, I feel like another yeah. round's going to lose steam with me pretty quickly. I think if I watch that film, I'm going to enjoy the first... I just, my gut feeling is I'm going to enjoy the first half and then it's just going to get kind of depressing and oh, drag out. Like, <laughs> not turn a, obviously from a, like a critical point of view, it'd probably still be a solid film, but the premise to me just, it's a premise that would have made for probably a really refined short film, but I can't, I don't know how they're going to spread it over hundred minutes. I, I can see it. You're right. I think it's going to take that darker turn. It's going to like spiral out of control. It's going to get yeah. uncomfortable. That's how they make it a feature. You're right. Yeah. So um, I think Minari is going to win. Again, we haven't seen any of these. No. I hope to see both another round of Minari uh, within the next couple of weeks. Absolutely. Me too. Um, we'll probably go at least see one of them together, I imagine. Mm. But um, Definitely want to see Minari. I think Minari is definitely going to run away with this. Minari is, I'm not, I hate using this, but it, it is the parasite of the year in the sense that it's just the foreign film that people have falling in love with yeah. and I don't really see people talk about another round in the sense that they've seen it hmm. but people talk about Minari in the sense of like you have to watch well, this it's movie. nice seeing Steven Yeun in something right that's like yeah uh, no he's great and he got nominated for a SAG so there you go, there you go. Um, best original score we have Soul Mank News of the World The Midnight Sky and Tenet um, this is a little trickier I probably would give that first thing says to me Tenet because yeah, Tenet's score probably. Is, is actually probably one of the strongest parts of that film. It's also the only thing it has no, it's nominated for is its score in this category. Mm. Um, I think if there was one real positive I walked away from that film, it was its score I really liked because it's complex. Yeah. And the more you research it, the more you're like, wow, that composer really thought about what they were doing. Yeah. Um, My plan is to literally just sit down and listen to the, the actual music just by itself. Mm. Um, I want to do that. Um I don't even remember Mank's score. Yeah, you see, I've seen Buzz for Mank's score, but j- just because of what it represents, I'm like, oh, it's an old-timey score. And it's like, you're right. I didn't watch the film being like, wow, this score's amazing. It did mm. not track with me at all. And Soul, there were certain tracks that I liked. I liked all the more surreal stuff, like when he's traveling across like worlds. Oh. And the I like that. I actually like the more diegetic stuff. Like the more Yeah, jazz... I'm sure that's included. I'm sure that'll be um, considered as well. I think that bit when he's playing the piano by himself is one of the strongest, mm. like, died well, soundtrack sort of score esque yeah, things. Yeah. Um, I would assume all of that's included. Yeah, I think it is. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I, I Soul has a good chance. I would kind of want to see Tenet win this because I don't really think Tenet deserves to win anything else. Nope. Because um, it will get a lot of technical nominations to the Oscars. It's you know what? It's probably going to win sound mix. It's probably gonna win. I don't. Th- I think. Uh, I mean, the controversy is just not wide enough to, with the academy. We'll see. We'll see. Um, I hope it's Tenet. There's a good chance it's also Soul. You know the funny, and, the, the funny yeah. thing about that mix. It's like I didn't think it was. I don't recall it being too big a problem for me. For me, it was just 
how confusing and convoluted the plot was. That was really yeah, but part of it was you couldn't hear. Th- th- people know how bad that sound mix is. Just, it's really bad. I need to listen to it again. Yeah. Part of me wants to. There's a, there's a YouTube video I just watched. I can't remember the guy's name, but it's a great video. He literally like puts a disclaimer upon being like, I haven't altered this. And I'm like, the, you rewatch the scene, you're like, it was so bad. Like, it's shocking how bad yeah. some of the dialogue mixing is. Uh, whatever, whatever. We've had to wear masks now ourselves, Nick, so we know what that filtering is like. <laughs> I just, I watched one where it was um, Tom Hardy in Dark Knight Rises. He's 5'9", and he had to wear three-inch boots to be at the same height as Christian Bale. Oh, <laughs> it's like Robert De Niro sort of thing. Yeah. Um, all right, so are we both going to hope that vote for Tenet in this yeah. one? These aren't official votes. We're just having fun with this until... Uh, gut predictions. Yeah, exactly. Our initial impressions. And if the Midnight Sky wins, I'm probably going to jump off a building because that soundtrack was bad. Um, best original song. Uh, we're not really going to be familiar with a lot of these. You have Fight For You from Judas and the Black Messiah. You have Hear My Voice from The Trial of Chicago 7. You have Losi or Scene from The Life Ahead. Speak Now from One Night in Miami. And Tigress and Tweed from the United States versus Billy Holiday. Um, I think between the two of us, we've only seen Trial of Chicago 7 and I don't yeah. remember the song at all. Nope. So... Not a lot to say on that. I might give those a listen to in the future. Best screenplay. I mean, it's a pretty decent category. Emerald Fennell for Promising Young Woman. Jack Vincher for Mank. Aaron Sorkin for The Trial of Chicago 7. Florian Zeller. And Christopher Hampton for The Father. And Chloe Zhao for Nomadland. Uh, I, think the, I think the winner... This is a screenplay, right? For Best Screenplay. They, they don't split them up into original. Oh, that's either going to be... I think it's obvious. I think it's really obvious. For me, it's... I mean, it'd probably be Emerald Fennell. I hope so. Yeah. Um, Sorkin would probably be up there. I'd probably. He he I would like... be the safe pick. He would be the safe pick for sure. Yeah, but it's kind of like comes back to we know Aaron Sorkin can write. Yeah, exactly. Like, does he need? And was this even close to the best Aaron Sorkin writing? Yeah. Probably not. Like, it's, it's great. good. It is great, but but you're it's right. it's not like Social Network esque. No. Good. Um, and I think he won for um. Uh God, how am I blanking on this? You know, the, with Tom Cruise in the nineties. You know, oh, you can't um, handle the truth. How am I forgetting? Few men. Few good men. Jeez, how did I forget the title? I uh, just got it on four K like a few so weeks ago. I, I think it. Yeah, yeah. I'd probably give it to Emerald Fennell. <laughs> yeah, me too. Because uh, we haven't seen the father, to be fair. But I don't think the screenplay is that strength. It's in terms strength of her, film. in terms of if there's a strength, like you know, I obviously go back to how much I loved it last week. That's one of the, the major strengths of that yeah. film, for sure. Between that and if Carrie Mulligan gets a, a shout-out. Well, she probably... Because they would be in the comedy character. Ca- category. No. Okay, this is actually interesting. We might as well mention this. They submitted Promising Young Woman under the comedy category, and it actually got several nominations in the dramatic category. Okay. So I'm they actually chose to change it to drama. Okay. We're That's cool. crazy. That's great. Because <laughs> um, we, I mean, we talked about it last week. There are funny moments, but I think the film is not. No, it's not be branded. Comedy at all. I mean, it's branded dark comedy. I don't think it should be. Yeah, no. Just because you've got people that do stand up comedy in in your film doesn't mean. <laughs> and I'm I'm really glad they moved it to drama because I I don't think that hurts any chances. Nope. In terms of um, uh, Carrie Mulligan's performance, I think being in the drama category that pff, she still has a perfectly great chance of winning. Mm. Doesn't matter what category you put her in. Um, but I agree with you. I think Promising Young Woman, it kind of, because it does have that flow of like, oh, wow, it takes you on a journey as mm. opposed to uh, Sorkin, who just sort of wrote a very well, well-crafted, well good dialogue. 
Um, that film, yeah. that Sorkin film, that Trial of Chicago 7, particularly with the ending, it felt like a 90s sort of melodrama yeah, epic. Yeah, it was on purpose. I, like, like, it must have been. But absolutely what it felt like. It felt like one of those... Fil- the, like, the Gavin, it does Gavin. feel like kind of a, a spiritual successor to A Few Good Men or something like out of... If, I want, if that film was... If you took that film and it was made in the 90s, it wouldn't feel out of place at all. Right. Like, it just has that kind of Shawshank esque two two hour epic sort of drama, and I'm sure I'm sure there are '90s versions of of that exact story. Yeah, I mean they do exist, so, so makes sense. It's the the writing style; it doesn't feel contemporary. It's probably the, the way I'm yeah. describing it. This next one is probably equally as obvious, um, not just because of how we feel, but what's been happening in the other circles. Best Director, Emerald Fennell for Promising Young Woman, David Fincher for Mank, Regina King for One Night in Miami, Aaron Sorkin for The Trial of Chicago 7, and Chloe Zhao for Nomadland. I'd probably give it to Zhao. Yeah. I'd yeah probably, a thousand yeah. percent will. Um, no competition. I and think, because like, literally like, everyone else has, has given her this award already. Yeah, I think I would, like, Fennell, I liked her direction, but it's not the part of the film that drives my... I think her screenplay is the strength of the two between a directing and a, yep. a screenplay and it's the performances. So I think the performances deserve recognition, but yeah, out of the two direction wise, Zhao's direction was just, I'm a thousand percent with unreal you. between those two. It's, it's clear. What is the strength for each of those films? And a lot of people have been saying, I didn't say this on the show, but I wrote it on Facebook a few weeks ago. My prediction that this would be the first year we get two women directors in the Oscar category. Well, we bloody got three for the Globes, so yeah. I'm looking pretty good at my prediction. <laughs> and I also said um, that Chloe Zhao will win, so I, lo- I think this is the best category. To, to counter thing. your earlier point, though, that mm. doesn't that prove the fact that we shouldn't split the director's category? We should keep it at one, because the fact is I mean, now we're starting to get to this point now where if we do get, if there are, how many nominations can you have at the Oscars? Five. Five. If same, we get to the point where majority is is women, we're just acknowledging the best directors at that point. Look, that is true. And it's like, in all honesty, I thought last year was a much better showcase to have women directors instead. That being said, there were definitely us way more films last year yeah. that were like excellent, excellent films. I think this year's overall weaker in terms yeah. of the variety of but great films. But that doesn't, at the end of the day, obviously the more, maybe increase the amount of nominations to like eight like for, go from five yeah, to eight. Yeah, that argument's also been made for um, sure. Because I think, obviously, the more obviously the more the less opportunity. So if we have this plethora of of uh, options like mm. we did last year, increasing it to you know seven or eight would it you know help be able to put people into that, elevate them into that category. But like you said, you got three for the Globes there, and it's like, what if we get three out of five this year? Then it really kind of devoids yeah. the point of separating the category because. This year, the you know, fe- female directors made, you know, they, their films were deemed better. And yeah. I mean, honestly, I wouldn't even consider Sorkin or Fincher. I think those two are kind of yeah. I those, I hate that Mank is in all of these. I think, I think Mank's those in two are <laughs> uh, nominations, kind of out of just reliability more than anything. I probably could put other directors in there. I mean, Shannon Murphy would be in there, yeah, for sure. For sure. For me, like, and you. So, I would put Miranda July for Kajillionaire. I would put Kajillionaire in any of these. <laughs> so the fact that, you know, you know, we talked about the snubs earlier, it's like yeah. we could quite easily fill all five slots with female directors this year. 
But I'm, I made that point last year, and that's why I think this should... I don't know. I mean, I think the, the worry is like, oh, well, it's going to be a weaker category. I'm like, no, it's not. It's not going to be a weaker category. No. So that's that. I don't, that's where I stand. I don't know. It's, I mean, the fact is, it's political at the end of the it day. It is very political. But I mean, the whole thing is political, really. So, and it comes back to, you know, the amount of money and marketing thrown at it. We don't yeah. think Bank deserves to be in any of these categories, pretty much. So why but netflix you know, they need they want to win netflix they're pushing, wanna win, they're pushing so they're, it though they're giving it to everyone yeah all right well uh let's move into the performances so looking at best supporting performance uh for male and female they actually don't split these into comedy and drama which i think is a little weird it's okay. just supporting across the board so mm. much like the oscars maybe too many categories <laughs> yeah, yeah I get, it's a lot it becomes a lot of categories i guess um, so for supporting actor, we have Sa- uh, Sasha Baron Cohen for The Trial of Chicago 7, Daniel Coulier for Ju- uh, Judas and the Black Messiah, Jared Leto for The Little Things, which the internet has had a lot of things to say about that, uh, Bill Murray for On the Rocks, and Leslie Odom Jr. for One Night in Miami. Now, we've actually only seen two of these performances. Yeah. Bill Murray for On the Rocks, Sasha Baron Cohen for Trial of Chicago 7. I think everyone's sort of pointing towards... Uh, either Daniel Coulier or uh, Leslie Odom Jr. has been uh, respectively for Judas and the Black Messiah and One Night in Miami. I think people are pointing at those two. Yeah, I'll, give it, I'll just give it to them just out of... I don't We haven't seen for, either of the films. We yeah. haven't seen either and don't care for Bill Murray's performance in On the Rocks. Mm. And I do think that's probably the best performance I've seen out of Sasha Baron Cohen, controversially. Um, I really eh, liked his performance. Is that controversial? In, maybe. I mean, people would probably love his Borat character. I've we yeah. talked well, he's about. He's nominated for that as well in the comedy category. <laughs> I just didn't care. Um, I just don't really. We I've talked about. He it won. He won for the first Borat. There you go. Won for um, I think he was, is amazing in in Trial of Chicago Seven, but mm. he's actually um, still probably not even my favorite part of that film. Yeah, I wish Mark Rylance was in here. Yeah. And I'm, like, I'm oh, man. blown away that he doesn't get that that mention. And I don't I even, think he got even, a SAG mention either. I there don't you go. Think. And I even probably say Eddie Redmayne. I think I enjoyed more in it than, mm. than Sasha Baron Cohen's character. And they um, were all up. They were all up for grabs. There you go. So they they picked Sasha, Sasha Baron Cohen's going to be the representative. Yeah. Chicago so Seven I, of, the, of the group. I think that's disappointing. But um, yeah. yeah. So I probably would point to the other two. And and nobody knows that one night in Miami. That sounds all right. Sorry? That one night in Miami. That, that they both sound was. great. Yeah. I think Judas and the Black Messiah isn't out. Yeah, I don't know what's going on. I keep hearing about these films, um, those two in particular, and I'm like, wh- when, what, where is it? What's coming out? i got to figure it out. Let's go sit down. Um, and yeah, and Jared Leto, no one knows where the hell that came from. One Night in Miami is on Prime Video. Oh, perfect. All right. I got to maybe n- nick someone's Prime. My Rip. sister's maybe. I don't know. Uh, anyway, so uh, that's where we stand with that. Uh, supporting actress... Uh, we got Glenn Close for Hillbilly Elegy, Livia Coleman for The Father, Jodie Foster for The, the Mauritanian, Amanda Seyfried for Mank, and Helena Zagel for News of the World. Now, she's a 12-year-old, so she's like the child actress with Tom Hanks, and, and that comes out pretty soon as well, News of the World. Okay. Um, I, I haven't seen Olivia Coleman in The Father yet, which, like, I imagine she's excellent in it. Mm-hmm. Um... I don't know, I'm looking at this. You know what? I think Glenn Close might get some points simply for elevating an otherwise very not great film. I honestly think that's... Which weird. one's this? Uh, Glenn Close for Hillbilly Elegy. She's great in it. Yeah. She's probably easily the strongest part of that film. Yeah. Um, so... 
Might be her versus uh, Olivia Coleman. If I was to give Hillbilly <laughs> Elegy an award, I would give it to Glenn Close. Like that would be the only one that I would, I can physically pick out of. And you know who got nominated for a SAG Best Actress? No, she did. Yes, she did. <laughs> Amy so, Adams. I have been Amy Adams in the last decade has taken me on one of the biggest roller coasters of do I like her or do I not like her? I. What, I, what other films has she been bad in other than this one film? I didn't care too much for her in Vice. Um, uh, come on. <laughs> uh, no, I honestly, I, if I laid it out, I probably could show you, like, didn't like her, like her. And then I watch her in Arrival. Right. And I'm like, I love her. She's great. But it's like, <laughs> I don't know what it is. It, it honestly might not be her. It might just be the films. I'm so up yeah, in, I'm American Hustle. Because I don't care. I don't like American Hustle, but then I don't like anyone in American Hustle, so I shouldn't just pick on her. Um, yeah, it, it honestly kind of sounds a bit like that's what's happening. Yeah, you just pick. Sorry, Amy films. Adams. <laughs> oh, the the Superman movies, <laughs> the Man of Steel. Don't like them. Well, exactly. Like it's not her fault. Yeah. That yeah. Batman versus Superman's bad. I'm sorry, Amy Adams. It's my <laughs> apology to fault. you. Um, I'm gonna, I'm she gonna... is too much in Hillbilly Elegy, though. She's way too yeah, much. Yeah, yeah, she yeah. is, like, overacting I... hardcore. I think and it's going be... to be... Her... That might be to do with Howard's direction. Because in some Howard films, I Of course think... it's his direction, because she's good in everything else. Yeah. I, I actually... Yeah, yeah. Maybe it's... A, I like it when she's a bit more reserved. Yeah. Well, I think it's going to be between Glenn Close and Olivia Coleman because um, Glenn Close is actually consistently getting nominated now. She's also got a SAG nomination, so okay. I think it's going to be between those two. And I, I just I kind of want to see Olivia Coleman win again just because I love her so much, but mm-hmm. I can't comment. I haven't seen The Father yet. Yeah. And I, I still don't know when the hell The Father's coming out, but all right, let's move on. Let's start snapping through these quickly. We're almost done. Yep. Uh, for Best Actress in a Musical or Comedy, we have Maria Baklanova for Borat's subsequent movie film. We had Kate Hudson for Music, which that's another Where the Hell Did That Come From nomination. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michelle Pfeiffer for French Exit, Rosamund Pike for I Care A Lot, and Anna Taylor-Joy for Emma. Now, I think this is a pretty weak category, to be honest. Not that I don't love like Anna Taylor-Joy and Marie Bucklanova is actually killing it. She might mm-hmm. actually win for Borat, which that's is crazy. pretty insane. Like People are saying she might even get the Oscar That's not nom- even the Rosamund Pike film I knew of. I knew of the other one. Yeah, she's, she's in two, isn't she? She's in one about... Like oh, some, radioactive! That one, radioactive. That's and the I one I knew it. of her this year, and this one I've never heard of. Yeah, this I, Emma I came didn't realize out it was just before COVID hit, and no one, no one I saw it. I, think. So. I mean, I love Anna Taylor Joy. I got, I'm going to watch it. I respect for her, but I say it's a weak category because it's like, you know, no one from. I mean, Rashida Jones for On the Rocks. I'm a little surprised because that film's got momentum, like in this area. Yeah, yeah. Well, the fact that Bill Murray and I would actually say Rashida Jones was probably quite enjoyable yeah. like i would say they're on they were definitely on par they with were a good other. mix yeah yeah um so to have it's so weird seeing her in the office and apparently she's in parks and rec too so it's really weird right sort yeah, of like yeah, yeah. i think she has a much look, bigger role in that show than than the office in parks and rec? Yeah. yeah um my understanding but she's good it's just that film is just such a the last 20 minutes is like a sprint to the finish line it feels right. like it comes out of Nowhere, but it's a, f- a fun, easy watch. But yeah, that's a real shock that they wouldn't put, especially with how kind of confusing that category is. Yeah, right it's now. a weird category. Like, I mean, who saw I Care a lot? You know, these films, music, it's not even out like in 99% of the world. And the other 1% hate the film. So I was like, yeah. who? 
I don't know. I, I really don't know. We'll moving, get back to music as on. well. Um, I think Maria buckling over because who else? Why yeah. not? That's where I stand. Um, she made right. me laugh. Yeah, exactly. And what I mean, the whole thing with Judy Rudiani is like that—that's big. Yeah. That was a huge deal. Yeah. Like that was a, that was a zeitgeist moment outside of the movie. Yeah. So they're gonna want to give her an award just for that, I reckon. Um, actor in a musical or comedy, Sasha Baron Cohen for Borat, James Corden for The Prom. Okay. Uh, Lynn Marrell Miranda for Hamilton. This is interesting. They they Hamilton's included in this. They counted as a feature film. Uh, Dave Patel for the uh, personal history. David Copperfield and Andy Samberg for Palm Springs. Most, uh, hmm? I'm going to jump in here. Um, a live recording of a theater performance <laughs> is not a film. They've been so doing they, them. They decided it for is. the longest time. Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry, but it's not a film now. I've heard great things about Hamilton. That's great. And I'm sure it was a great watch. Yeah, but it's, you're, great. it's a recording of a live performance. Yeah. If I if I played live sport, is that a film? Like you like things could go wrong in that live I performance. I want to see like an things, AFL grand final and best comedy or musical. <laughs> and the funny thing is, some like theater people hate live uh, recordings of of theater right like they hate them because they're not the way you consume that art form as in like the editing and all of that well you can edit around it and and the fact is yeah you're cutting to things at right moments so it's a broadcast it's a broad you i do find it really weird that's not a that's sorry that no if it was a live reenact like if it was a film yeah like les mis was or countless other musical to film adaptations like prom prom's a great example. prom is a film yeah that, that was based even if off they a... nominated james corden <laughs> yeah i mean it's not a great i think they just want him to host next year's it's, show that's the only reason it's not a great film it. but it's, it's it's still a film right um although it's a musical film it's a musical film it's not a film that's recording a musical yeah Look, I'm 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 pretty much with you. It is ironic though because I honestly think that Lynn Merrill Miranda should actually win because I think he was the best performer. I know it was a play, but it was the best performance here. Like, I didn't care for Dave Patel. I didn't care for James Corden. Sasha Baron Cohen's already run one for this character, hmm. you know. So I can see them going for him for that sort of ah, uh, he did something special during COVID. He's back, and I didn't think too highly of Adam Sandberg, but I I think he's the best performance in Palm Springs out of this collection if you don't include Hamilton. Yeah, it's a bit of a rough, rough categories. Yeah, I'm gonna go with with Hamilton because if it, if they consider it enough that they nominate it, they're obviously willing to give it the win. Yeah. So I honestly think he's gonna win or Adam Sandberg, but whatever. All right, best performance uh, for a drama in terms of actresses, you have Viola Davis for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Andrea Day for The United States versus Billie Holiday, Vanessa Kirby for Pieces of a Woman, Frances McDormand for Nomadland, and Carrie Mulligan for Promising Young Woman. Carrie Mulligan. I would like to see Carrie Mulligan. I agree. Well, Davis got plenty of awards. I love her. I mean, she's excellent, but I I wish she was in the supporting category. She would have done much stronger in there. Yeah. I don't think she's the lead of that film. We'll get to that in a minute. But... I don't think any... I feel like it's an immense... It's a kind of a co-lead sort of situation. It's a very confusing... It's a play. See, the problem with a play, Mm. like a, a play to film adaptation, is it's tougher to... And we can actually talk about it a little bit with the film of the yes, week too. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, it's tough to determine who's the lead because they both get huge monologue moments. I think 
if anything, Bozeman gets more than Viola Well, Davis. that's what I mean. I I, for, I always considered him to be the protagonist of the film. Mm. I know I know she's technically the titular character. I would say character. she's the protagonist, but I would say he gets more to say and do. He gets more he gets more character development for sure. Um, yeah, I look. I, that's how I saw it. And and look, you can you can choose at this point. She's in the film enough. Like in terms and I of love her in terms of screen yeah. time, she's, she's yeah incredible. But Kerry Mulligan is the driving force in that film, and yeah. she is tour de force. Yeah, for sure. Tour. De- <laughs> um, she is you know between her and uh, it's yeah it's honestly she, I feel like it would be between her and Frances McDormand. Yeah, and That's I think the two that as I much would, as I love Frances McDormand, and I think. Like, I've said this many times, she's had the unspoken task of having to work with other non-actors and sort of meld into that world and, and sort of almost shrink herself in a way. So I respect that performance from that perspective, mm-hmm. but I don't know, there's something about it where it's like, I think the film, strength, again, is elsewhere. It's going to win for director. It's going to win for best picture. Yeah. But I, I don't know. I think Frances McDormand made that sacrifice of it being a less flashy performance in order to serve the film. So I, I think she gets yeah. undercut because of that. And I think it's what Mulligan does, and her mm. her way she walks such a perfect tonal line, and yeah. and I and the way she's written, and the way she, yeah. So I just for me, it's like her performance is so good in how many times she mis she misleads you, but she makes you feel she's such a strong protagonist. Yeah, like she is. You are. She is the with, leading lady. Yeah, by definition. Yeah. And I think that's there's not really one point in the narrative where you dislike her. Mm. She either entertains well, you or you, you, you question her motives sometimes, but I think that's beside the point almost. I don't know if I ever did question her motives. I think she was always justified in what she did. Well, when, when the film tricks you that second time, I don't want to spoil it, of course, mm. but there's a moment where you think she's doing something way more horrible than she actually is. Yeah. But that's, that's almost, but that comes back to but again, that actually I don't comes think back, that comes back to the strength of the writing because yeah, yeah, yeah. they're subverting your expectations every single time. So that's why you give Fennell the screenplay nod, but it and all comes out in her performance, yeah, too. So no, no, I completely agree with you. Um, I will defend right. this film. <laughs> a dramatic, uh, drama actor, you got Riz Ahmed for Sound of Metal. You got Chadwick Boseman, R.I.P. for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Anthony Hopkins for The Father. Gary Oldman for Mank and Tahar Renim for the uh, Mauritanian. So I think Bozeman's going to get it here, but he won't get it at the Oscars. You might be right. I hope he gets. I hope he wins both. I really I do. Don't. Now I... I haven't seen Anthony Hopkins in The Father. He's meant to be like absurdly good in that. But again, I think I think the fact that he passed away, Chadwick Bozeman is. I think he'll strong. get it wrong. I think you he'll get it what? here. He'll get it at one. Whether he'll get it at this one or the Oscars, but he won't get it at both. You know what I could see? I could see Riz Ahmed getting it for Sound of Metal here and then Chadwick Boseman getting the Oscar. Okay. I can see that now that I think about I it. I can't... I could see Hopkins getting nominated at both because, I mean, it's Anthony Hopkins. Like, let's, yeah. be, let's be real here. Like, oh, he's definitely got the nom for if the he got, Oscar, If he got the nom for yeah. Two Popes, he'll get the nom for... <laughs> <laughs> like, and I'm not a big Two Popes fan. But he got nommed for that. and I think Tom Hanks got the nom for um, in the SAG. Maybe. There are some people like Anthony Hopkins. It's like they're in a film that's good. Yeah. They just get the nom because they're Sir Anthony Hopkins. Like, let's yeah, be yeah. real. <laughs> uh, but you might be right. Like, I really want to watch Sound of Metal. 
because I love yeah, the great. idea of that premise. But um, I feel like Bozeman's going to get it at only one of these two. Yeah. And whether the, the, that'll be the Oscars or here, it'll be one or the other. And I think you might be right. I think it'd probably be at the Oscars over the Globes. The yeah, so I can see that. I can, I can really see that. All right, best motion picture for a musical comedy. Yeah, Borat subsequent movie film, Hamilton, music, Palm Springs, and the Palm a uh, prom. Sorry, I think if it's not Hamilton I, again, I think it just goes to Palm Springs because it's fun. It's a fun, fine film. See, People uh, like it. Okay, it's a weak category. Which just makes me think: Why don't you just put Promising Young Woman in that? You would just win them all. Like, well. I mean, they submitted it as a musical comedy. Focus Features wanted it to be in the comedy category. Because they knew they'd win. Pro- probably. <laughs> like, who knows? It's like putting, like, it's the worst part is it's probably got a but good it's chance. No, to, uh, it's not a comedy. Man. It has enough in there, though. No, it, uh, it just has enough. It's a joke. What, what, what was it? It was um, uh, The Martian was submitted as a comedy or musical. That was a joke. And it still didn't even win. Because it didn't play to those genres. Uh, I think there's enough in Promising Young Woman. I, I I don't know. As a producer, what do you do? Do you as see clearly the produ yeah the producers at for Promising Young Woman clearly went we could just dominate this category, but we might, we'll get nominated in that category. And technically, you could argue that category is above. You would say the drama is above the the comedy. I mean, it gets. I mean, it's taken more seriously. Yeah, of course. But I like that they're split. This is the thing. No one who actually... The decision that got made was not made by the people who wanted to make those decisions. But, and what I mean is that the people who wanted it to be in a comedy, they didn't choose to change it to a drama. And then the people who don't really have much of a stake, they chose to change it to a drama than a musical. Yeah. At the end of the day, I mean... So it doesn't matter. Yeah, it, it could win it. all these categories, but then it's beating you know, Borat subsequent movie films. So it's also not really competing in a field that it's probably worthy of. I don't think it matters. I think, <clears throat> excuse me, I think it still is like top two material for the drama category. Yeah. So if we go to drama, it's The Father, Mank, Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, and The Trial of Chicago 7. Okay, yeah, so... I yeah, think it's probably it's the second t- best film in it's there. It's not going to be Nomadland, but it'll it, it'll definitely... Yeah, okay, fair. Look, that's yeah, fair. Yeah, you see what I mean? Like, so clearly not, they've thought about it, yeah. It's not going to lose the Mank. Comedy, yeah, probably. That Palm Springs looks funny. That's the best I've got for that one. Yeah, I, look, I'm I'm lu- lukewarm on Palm Springs, and I understand I'm probably one of the more negative people. About that's a that lot film. of streaming platform films, though. Seriously, yeah, that's all. That's I mean, between that's Prime Video, that's... between Prime Video and and Netflix, Netflix and yeah, Foxtel. Uh, that's crazy. All right. Well, yeah. so so that's that. I'll quickly just mention. Um, oh, by the way, so out of the 37 films, we didn't even talk about TV because you're right, The Mandalorian got nominated for Best Television. Um, and it's up there with like The Crown and, and all of that. We're going to skip that. We're not a TV yeah. podcast specifically. Got cinema. Uh, we're, we're, we're the cinema side. So, um, out of the 37 films that were nominated, and this includes like the animated films and the foreign films and stuff, I've seen 18. I think you've seen 12. Okay. Um, so we, we kind of seen a fair bit of the mix. Um, I'm going to try and catch a few this week if I can. Um, but films like, you know, News of the World, Over the Moon, Minari, um, you know, The Father, One Night in Miami. These are films that I think we're all going to yeah. try and catch anyway. So, yeah. And, uh, any standouts for the SAGs? Their outstanding performance by a cast, which is their best picture is The Five Bloods, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Minari, One Night in Miami, and Trial of Chicago 7. So they were a bit more of a 
they 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 flexed a lot more they did a lot more other films that the well the father's not coming did. until first of april this year Ooh, so it's far away i mean hey, it comes out when it comes out that's fine um all right i'm seeing if there's any other standouts in any of these categories like i said uh, minari got a lot more performance nominations at the sags um yeah these categories look really similar um Chadwick Boseman got nominated for both films. Mm-hmm. Actually, he technically got four nominations. Um, how does that work? Oh, because of ensemble. Because yeah. he's in both films that got nominated for the best ensemble, as well as individual nominations for his performance in The Five Bloods and Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. So he's the first actor ever to get four performance no- nominations at the SAGs in a single year. Wow. Some people have done it for producing or for one was a movie, one was a TV series. Oh, sorry. Is yeah, yeah. No, this is the sags. I'm silly. Um, yeah. Okay. Th- there's not a lot extra interesting for the sags. So, um, yeah. They do stunt though. They do stunt ensembles. So they nominate films like Mulan and Wonder Woman 1984 for the stunts. Okay. Um, but that's really good a, for them. Yeah. No, that's great. Stunt people. They need some trophies as well, mate. No worries. So <laughs> should we move into our career section? If you've got anything to add um, to your career, I, I think we're going pretty long. No worries. <laughs> so I, we'll I just guess jump it's right time in. <laughs> to our move to our film of the week. But Jake, what are we watching this week on the show? We're watching Malcolm and Marie. Give me your pain. Give me your sorrow. Malcolm, I feel like once you know someone is there for you and once you know they love you, you never actually think of them again. It's until you're about to lose someone that you finally pay attention. Well, what is it, Marie? What do you want? Really? Do you want to go there? Yes. Okay. I will carry you. Smoldering tensions and painful revelations push a filmmaker and his girlfriend towards a romantic reckoning. 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 Ding, ding, ding. Um, yeah. <laughs> the rest of the podcast is just the so, song now. As discussed in the <laughs> first half of the show, Jake, you have caught a couple of Sam Levinson's things. You know the funny thing with this name? I thought I knew I'd seen some of his stuff before. This is the first thing I've seen from him. Yeah, well, he's only done two features. He just sounds like someone who has been around for a long time. Yeah. It's a very white name, isn't it? <laughs> it just sounded like a name that was like more synonymous with like film, but uh. I guess it's brought up a lot because yeah, he he's such a tour de force in um, Euphoria, which you know he directed like ninety percent of those episodes. He wrote every single one except for the most recent. He co-wrote, um, and again, like those two Euphoria specials, this film, I have a lot of respect for him as a filmmaker for the amount of work he's done during COVID, for the amount he's doing to keep the story of his show moving forward and mm-hmm. making this film. It seems like a lot of fun. I know Zendaya was a producer as well and she put a lot of her own money in to get this film made and only a crew of 22 people. I think they shot it in two weeks. Like, There's a lot of interesting stuff that I respect about him as a director and this film in terms of them making it during COVID. There's a lot to respect. Yeah, I'm just like but, going through all of his... Uh... Like his credits... Yeah. A couple of extra writing credits, but nothing. 
honestly, yeah, this is really, yeah, euphoria is kind of the thing that has really propelled him in a way. I mean, that's fair enough. Yeah, that's pretty much all I can get. Yeah, I mean, he's got a couple of other, like you said, he's got um, Assassination Nation and another Happy Day are the only other Happy two, day, yeah. Those are two yeah. features that are to his name. So this is his third feature. Mm. Okay. Um, and yeah. his, I guess, second collaboration was in Daya, but it, it, their relationship goes further than just like, oh, they worked on two things together. Yeah, clearly it's going to probably become it's quite deeper. a staple, I imagine, of his mm. his filmmaking. Um, obviously, yeah, like you said, this is a, a purely two, two-person two performance, John David Washington and mm. Zendaya, and um, our protagonist. <laughs> the protagonist and Marie. And obviously, yeah, you know, John, you know, this is, it's very interesting. Well, in all seriousness, you know, between Sam Levinson, Zendaya, and John David Washington, these are three people in the industry that are, you know, relatively new and starting to build up steam, I would say. Okay, is probably yeah. a good way of describing it. Obviously, Zendaya is, what, 24? 24. And, you know... He's 36 re- as we yeah, searched up. <laughs> but for him, obviously, I don't think John David Washington's had much... Well, he post Black Klansman is really kind of his sort of start to push yeah. for more because obviously you know he's the son of Denzel Washington, mm. and you know that's kind of some big shoes to fill. Well, he even spoke out. I don't know if it was him or Zendaya speaking on his behalf, but it was about the age gap controversy, non-controversy, yeah. if you will. Um, and the whole point was that she's been in the biz longer than he has, and that a lot of this film was him actually learning from her about, I guess, performance and producing and, and just filmmaking in general. So yeah, you're right in the sense that he's he hasn't been around for that long. No, I would definitely say Black Klansman was the first like spotlight on his sort of, and that's 2017. So we're mm. actually not far removed from that. And, you know, it hasn't had all that. You know, I mean, it's weird because it's like this, this guy who doesn't have that much acting experience has been in, you know, probably the most successful Spike Lee film and the biggest Nolan film to date. So yeah. it's kind of mind-boggling, and you could probably argue it's probably his name that does carry quite a lot of recognition, and there's definitely a lot of raw material there, and and that's fascinating to think that he's kind of working off this person that yeah. is you know 12 years younger that has actually had way more experience. Um, and this is probably the most intimate film he's been in. With another, Possibly, yeah. with a With another growing... I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure Levinson's been in the industry for 15 or so years, and he's 35, 36 too. So, but you know, obviously, someone who's now also got a spotlight and has got grounds where this is probably the first feature film that Levinson has had a lot of attention for because his other two probably came and went without too much. Uh, I mean, look, I, I think there's definitely something to say about it being his first film post Euphoria, and even just the story. Mm-hmm behind it so i'd definitely say there's more eyes on him now yeah um especially for what he did here but yeah i don't know it's tricky i think i'm just more interested in in the statistics you know of like the crew size and and that stuff and what they've done i mean obviously this feels like a very inside baseball film for a lot of reasons for the dialogue and everything but because of you're right like the people that are so intimately involved in this story i think the for me, mm. um, watching this film, um, there are a couple of things. Like, it feels very much like a play at times. Like, yep. um, it's definitely got the because obviously the grounded one location, 
um, small cast, probably very small crew, I assume, too. Yeah, I think 22, 24. I mean, that was the final um, number I read. Actually, I can figure that out pretty quickly. I'm, I can grab my phone. It's a very performative film, so it's very much a, a good grounds for acting showcase, great mon- uh, big monologues, very performative. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's an intimate film, and obviously there are films that, immediately spring to mind with it sort of you know being shot in black and white and stuff the first thing that springs to mind is something like blue jay i fought a blue jay too yep and i'm gonna straight out say it's not nearly as good as something like blue jay i, I also think, agree with that. i think duplasses <laughs> are honestly some of the best indie grounded small cast filmmakers out there i think they are they they have their niche and they're so good at it mm. um and it's not just films like blue jay it's films like um oh can't believe I'm forgetting it now, but it was with the other Duplass brother, and I'm gonna to have to run through my. Oh, interesting. Um, um, the the crew was 22, according to Zendaya's Instagram account. The 22 crew. I know outside in. Like outside in. Oh, go. okay. I, I didn't even know that. Um, outside in. That's with the other brother. Oh, okay. Cool. Ben Duplass. Yeah. Sorry if I well, got that wrong. Look, I I definitely compared it to Blue Jay as well. That's in my notes. Mm-hmm. Um, because you're right. It's it's very obvious. Like one location two people it's about their relationship it's um i already said black and white dinner but like you mm. know all of these similarities to it and i also compared it to blue jay because you're right blue jay does very small things that fundamentally change the way we perceive the story and well, it's, I think, an, it's analysis of a relationship too they're both huge like well it is but it's the details that are different mm-hmm. for example obviously in blue jay they're not a couple no. They're people who previously dated and there's a falling out that we're, as an audience, learn, slowly learning about this fallout. And because there's subtext in their dialogue and they're very friendly with each other, it takes a whole film to figure out what happened. And this film does very slight tweaks that I think really hurt the film. I don't think it's a bad film at all. I gave it three stars on Letterboxd. Yeah, okay. But the things that I was like, oh, why would you do this? is the film starts off with that tension right off the bat. And while there is sort of a driving question of very specifically, why is she angry at him? That but, revelation comes out very early. Well, that's the thing. It's like, it's not that we don't learn the answer. It's that we are given a sliver of the answer right at the beginning of the film. So the driving question is, like, is there a driving question? Because we know generally why she's not, upset at him. Really. It just takes a film it's for her to elaborate just, on her point. It's kind of just a <laughs> dissection of a relationship, really. Yeah. Um, an artistic relationship, mm. albeit. I think that's a really important um, distinction between that and something like Blue Jay. Yeah. Blue Jay is this thing where it's like these two characters who have not seen each other for a very long period of time clearly have a rapport and chemistry with one another but there's an elephant in the room and they don't acknowledge mm. the elephant in the room until literally the lowest point in the film. Yeah, right at the end, basically. Well, I would say, yeah. At least, 90% yeah, tip, of, tip, of, tip of the second into the third, I would say, it's where it happens. But it's, that's like an 80-minute film as well. And I think this so film it, suffers from being 100 minutes. Oh, it's long. It's it is. Fe- for a film to f- feel long at 100 minutes, that's, that's bad. Mm. I'm sorry, but... That is, there are some incredibly frustrating things about this film. There are moments of brilliance, mm. but there are also m- moments that completely detract from the brilliance. And I can see why this film is sitting on such a middle of the road. Yeah, very uh, parade because it's what like high fifties on high fifties. So uh, yeah, two and a half, three star is really what I'm I'm sitting on. And and the letter I, the letterbox bar graph 
is so flat. Yeah. Like the amount of one stars and two stars, it's the same number of three star, four star, but like it's yeah. so flat. It's fascinating. And I, I can totally see why because mm. it's just, it's really dragged out in parts. I found myself incredibly frustrated at multiple parts of the film. Mm. It felt like, and I know it's supposed to feel like a fight that just doesn't ever seem to end, but right. no one wants to be in the room for a fight that never ends. Yeah. Like the difference is there was a simmering boil and a, a, there was a boiling point in Blue Jay that's so well thought out. And it's the same thing with, you know, like I was talking about with the other Duplass film, Outside In, they both have this point where it's this simmering tension where you just know that there's going to be a point where they get together right. and we're going to, we're going to think that's the moment of bliss, but it's actually the moment of dread. Mm. And this film consistently peppers in that, that boiling point just too much that it, you mm. end up being, you feel exhausted by the hour mark because you're like, we have literally dipped and risen and dipped and risen already so many times at this point. And it's sort of meant to be this, this dissection of how toxic, but also great this relationship, how codependent, but also mm. toxic this relationship is between these two people, but the necessity and love that they feel for each other. But as the fly on the wall, <laughs> we're just like, you guys got some problems. Right? See, I, I like that you're saying that because you're right. It, it's very exhausting. Audiences, I mean, half the letterbox reviews are just jokes about how annoying um, Malcolm is, <laughs> that he just won't shut up and that there's just arguments and arguments mm. and I get that, but it's like, you're right. It, I think the reason it's long, it's not a, it's not an issue with the, the, the length of the film, the actual time code. It's the pacing. The pacing's really bad because mm. you just don't, there's no f- flow of anything. Yeah. It's just arguments and then, the, you know, they pepper it in some, like, oh, he's a little sexy montage and, oh, look, they're kind of, they're joking again. It's like, but it's just the it's nothing feels very in, the the intention's very off, you know. I don't feel the chemistry between these two people, and that's right. nothing to do with the. They age. don't let you. They don't give you time to. I, yeah, they don't. Um, and it's not it's not the fact that it's nothing to do with the age gap. You don't notice that. I yeah. really don't notice that. It's solely the fact, as you're exact, they don't give the time to really show that these two people love each other. Mm. There is no reprieve from the start to the finish. There are, And I do think that, you know, I, I think Malcolm's character is really frustrating, but I also think Zendaya's character is really frustrating at times. I think yeah, I agree. She, there are points when she's, her character, for some reason, goes through swings of of inconsistency you know there are moments where it feels like we're finally out of the woods and she's the one that persists or there'll be times when he's you know we think we're out of the woods and he's the one that just keeps niggling at it and it's just like you as you as the viewer do not feel chemistry you just feel frustrated because Mm -hmm. there's no moment where it really feels like you're out of it. It feels like there's a chance but the chance is so quickly squashed that you're like okay now there's another 10 minutes of arguing about something yeah some revelation that came out in the previous argument that is going to keep us in this position and but even your use of the word revelation is is so it's nice of you to call it a revelation (laughs) because it's it's literally just her saying both of them saying the same thing over and over again and i I guess that's part of the frustration Mm -hmm. but i just this film and look i don't want to poo-poo completely because i thought the cinematography is excellent throughout 
the camera work I think is excellent throughout. Yeah, okay. Fair. Um, Look, honestly, there's some real creativity with um, the one location. Um, like, yeah, yeah. I think that the, there's stuff like the the dolly outside the house pivoting in the first. That the first, shot's incredible. First, first 15 minutes of this film were really, really tight. Mm. And I think this film would have served so much better if it was 60 minutes. Like 60, it should have been shorter. I think it needed to be more confident about when to place an argument and when to do this and when to have the characters hit this emotional beat. Yeah. It just felt so random. And I think they, they kind of shot themselves in the foot because it starts off with that. This is a writer's trick. This is something I, by no means, I'm going to pretend that I invented this, but this is something mm. I worked out really early when writing scripts. And the whole idea of your character, your characters, they don't always say what they're thinking. It's yep. pretty common rule. And... I learned really quickly, if I want to get a character to say how they're feeling, you're either going to get them angry or you're going to get them drunk. And if you can do either of those two things, you can get them in an emotional situation where they can just spout what they're thinking. Mm -hmm. And this film, it kind of uses that in the sense that the characters begin angry. Or at least Zendaya, when they arrive home, she's already pissed. Yeah. And she doesn't say a word for like, you know, five, ten minutes. But it's already there. It's already in the air. I 1,000% expected them to get to open the door in those first few shots and they're laughing and giggling and they're both excited about this movie premiere. Now, I know the whole point is to show that they're in completely different mindsets because he's ecstatic mm. about it. I thought she was going to be ecstatic too. And then throughout the film, we slowly learn there is a buoyant well, frustration it's the, it's under. it's the slow descent. It's exactly. that simmering. It's literally what it should have been, simmering or smoldering tensions. Yeah. There is no tension. The tension is released immediately. Yeah. We're in we're in the lowest point from the start of the film to nearly the complete end of the film. Mm. They're arguing the whole way through and there's not really with a couple of little rebellions of, of love and affection which more come out of if anything spite and sexual aggression. Right. Um we really don't see the love that this couple has. We don't at all. No. And I think you're 100% right to start this film with them both in a state of, you know, pun intended, euphoria. Um, <laughs> it's, it's very good. It's uh, very good. Would have been the best way to go about it or to mm. start with at least some form of like, at like a little bit of it, like, you know, she's happy for him, but you can tell that there's something under the surface, not just her straightaway acting pissed. Like, yeah. clearly something's wrong. Like, and... Look, we've all been in arguments like this with our significant others where they never seem to end. I honestly don't want to watch a film for 100 minutes of another <laughs> art of another couple doing it. And there were moments in this film, Jack, where I literally was watching it. I'm like, I've been in this situation. Right. And I don't ever want to be in it again. Like, See, I it's weird because I've never actually been in that situation. I've, I think I've, we've, I've always been in like fairly calm yeah. relationships. Now, I, that's not true. I've dated a musician before, but... Other than that, it's like I've never dated like creatives. Yeah. And I always feel like I'm a fairly calm person. Like I would not have... I could say this as someone who hasn't had a huge successful film premiere on the scale that Malcolm would probably have had. But I'd like to think I don't have the kind of ego that he's spouting. And I understand he probably has it because of mm -hmm. the movie and all of this, the experience that he goes through. But So my point is I don't relate to this at all. Yeah. I think and at the end of the day, though, like, the revelations that come out in the argument, like, the subject, like, the fact that he is now 
being framed as this like up and coming filmmaker mm. off a story that Zendaya's character believes and pretty rightly so is based off her and he hasn't you know he hasn't given her any form of public credit for that and or acknowledged her sacrifice and stuff is actually a grounds for a really good like story yeah. and argument but the fact that she reveals very early on like within the first 30 minutes that she believes that character was based off her and we kind of just do the rounds for the next hour after that yeah. is kind of the fundamental problem with it like it was you're, you're on the money you're exactly right because you're the uh, the concept of it i think is fine the whole she's jealous not jealous but like i mean they argue about the word jealousy they literally do but you know, those mixed, complicated feelings that she has because he's not acknowledging her role in the film, even if it wasn't a physical, creditable role. Mm. But he also won't acknowledge that. I mean, yeah, the fact is that it's not even it's the recognition, it's the recognizing of their relationship, yeah. that frustration, that the fact that she had been there from post to post, and although he helped her in times of need, she has reciprocated that feeling, mm. and the lack of acknowledgement from that front the affirmation of their relationships, positive outlets is actually what leads into her acknowledging the horrible negative aspects of it. Mm. And the film is really her trying to make him recognize all that she does for him to get that affirmation. But it comes out so early on her, her mindset yeah. that we hit that boiling point way too early. And then we spend yeah, the next hour just going over the yeah, same going stuff. Going the rounds is exactly the perfect way to put it. Yeah. Because it, it doesn't really feel like we're making much progress. In it. Okay, to be... There is a line. That is literally the line. There is nothing that will be... That was nothing productive that will come out of talking tonight. Or I'm paraphrasing, but... Yeah. She literally says, if we have this discussion tonight, it will not be... Uh, oh, jeez, I already forgot. And he so I'm getting he, amnesia here. No, you're right. <laughs> productive. It won't be productive. Productive. And it wasn't. I don't think it was. No. No, I, I don't think they gained anything constructive. And I think there is definitely a lesson in that because we've all had that position. Well, I've been in that position where mm. I've prodded it when I shouldn't have prodded it. Right. And then I end up doing that thing where you're up at two in the morning and you're arguing. But I get, like, there is definitely an understanding and empathy there, but that doesn't mean it comes back to everything. It's like just, you know, it's, and to quote something that John David Washington's character, Malcolm, says... He's like, just because you've lived something doesn't make it interesting. Right. Like, just because you've had the overdose does not automatically make it a good film. Like, and I found that really funny because I was like, well, that's kind of what I'm experiencing right now. Just because I've had this experience right. doesn't mean I find it that compelling. I think there's the fact that it comes back to the fundamental problem is the elephant in the room is so quickly revealed that we kind of sit there and go, okay, well, what are we doing for the next hour? Yeah, because the reveal, about 20 minutes in, she is upset that he didn't thank her in the speech, mm -hmm. is pretty much the exact same reveal later on when she talks about, you know, why didn't you cast me in the film? Or, I mean, or just like her elaborate... Again, it's just an elaboration of what she said 10 minutes in. And it you just... It, it doesn't feel like you're going anywhere. No. Especially because, frankly, the ending, it, it just... It doesn't... He does apologise... He thanks her. He apologizes, and then. But he is he apologizing her. because he's exhausted? At Possibly. that point, has he just been worn down to that point of 
the best way to finish this is the, just go to bed. The <laughs> the thematic element of it, yeah, is that you would assume he is telling the truth because in terms of having a character arc, he would need to be telling the truth in that sentence for it to have been a complete arc. And I think the arc is actually more close to the moment when he sa- he admits the film would have been better if you played that character, if you played yourself. That is the arc right there, when he admits that the film would have been better if he had opened up more collaboration. But then they come back to the... That's I mean, just thrown the, in the, there. The exact, but there's also the exact problem where it's like she also didn't try to. Like, yeah. she didn't audition. Well, that, that kind of comes into the no one is right argument. Yeah. Which is fine in this scenario. Like, I think they do an okay job at that, but... yeah. I, 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 I was with you. I thought Zendaya was, or um, Marie was just as much of a dick as he was. I think they're exhausting people. Yeah. Creatively. They're just like, like they're, 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 to watch on a screen, they are two very exhausting characters that really don't gain that much in their relationship, I find. Mm. I think, I think that this argument they're having. Like she says, it's probably the biggest they're going to have ever, mm. or the biggest they've ever had, is fundamentally the start of the decline of this relationship, really, because that sort of argument, that type of argument, that's a that's a game changing argument. That's an that's an this is we are hitting the peak of our relationship and we're on the decline because mm. there are some fundamental problems that that relationship has that they will never fix or they will never change. And unless they're fully willing to accept that in each other, which in the moment they say they are, it's up to... You're, not, of, you're not convinced that it's a last, a long-lasting resolution. No, no. What happens with the next film? Yeah. <laughs> the same thing. It's a sequel. Yeah. Malcolm Marie 2, the, rec- the real reckoning. Yeah. And I, I, I think that maybe... Maybe... I don't know if the film should have where the film should have ended. Should have ended with them separating. Should have ended with, but it, it, it's such a. I don't honestly, even know if that matters in a, in frank, a way. Frankly, it's an incredibly exhausting film, mm. and I'm not saying that as a positive thing. I don't feel like I gained that much from it, right. and I don't think I was meant to. F- like I don't think I this film provoked the emotions I should have got out of a film mm. like this. What do you think of the two performances? Ignoring the direction and the, the writing and all of that, what do you think of their performances? Um, it's like, I think it honestly comes back to the rest of the film. It, it, there were moments of uh, like real brilliance where they were allowed to shine. Mm. Monologues. And but then there that. were just moments of frustrate it's tough it really is tough to kind of separate them in a film like this because I mean, they're good performances there are though. good performances yeah i think john david washington has come a long way in a very short period of time mm. and i like that you know zendaya is given this opportunity to start to paint the picture of you know she's starting to you know get these you know young woman characters she's not right. like she's a, not teenager. a teenager she's high not a teenager anymore. exactly she's... even euphoria she's in high school <laughs> and it's nice it's like everything it's nice seeing someone like her outside of the mcu realm yeah, i yeah. i forgot find that she's it, a spider-man yeah i f- and i i kind of am a little confused because this sort of film is very pro- you know we were talking about with bozeman it was a surprise he oh, could yeah. do ma rainey's black bottom i think this isn't the next level up 
I think this is... Oh, no, no, because Bozeman, his character is kind of... uh, You can argue that they're both kind of unbearable or awful characters. I think Bozeman does specific things in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom that are like, oh, wow, like, the way he curses and says this and sexualizes. Other than being like, oh, you, you know, that shirt is... Is not covering a lot of her body, like other than that, like mm. she's not really doing. Anything well, we say, yeah, and then you got the devil all the time, don't you? With with Holland, so really, yeah. I think at this point, maybe they've moved of, on. Maybe, maybe they have moved on for that. Yeah. yeah, I think you're probably right. Um, I really liked her. I I, yeah. I think she was she was great in it, but it's just a really frustrating film, and both their characters are not likable. Yeah, it, it does play into it because I thought I think I was... Malcolm's more frustrating. Mm. But I think his character is written to be more frustrating and more For egotistical. Sure. And if if the, out of the two, definitely the ones that have the more current. Sorry. Oh, you're Excuse right. Me. Oh my goodness. Ooh, about to sneeze. Oh my reason. goodness. That came literally out of <laughs> I've nowhere. I've never seen that before. That was literally out of nowhere. Um, no, I think his character is meant Put to have. Put your mask back on. <laughs> his, his characters are meant to have the more apparent flaws in that moment. Okay. I think that's very. He's definitely written to be worse. That's for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think both her her frustrations, obviously, and and his his points that you know betterment his argument come from her past rather than than the what, who she is now. Yeah, and I think yeah, that's true. Actually. I think it's very much the catalyst, uh, the 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 cornerstone of his argument comes from the fact of how supportive he was when she needed him, mm. and that's fair enough. But at the end of the day. Fundamentally, a relationship is not a scoreboard. There's not a. <laughs> this for some people. I definitely think that that's her monologue at the end, which is probably her strongest monologue, mm. proves that. Where it's sort of like I think that's one of the the points of the the film is it's not about yeah the relation a relationship fundamentally is not a scoreboard. It's mm. a, a, you're a team, and you're meant to work with each other and support each other and affirmate each other when it is the time to affirmate each other. And the fact that he didn't do that opened this can of worms and, and sort of a can of worms that needed to be opened. Yeah. No, that's fair enough. And I, I, like I said, I do agree with you that Malcolm's probably written to be worse. Unfortunately, but, um, the boiling point just comes too early. And yeah, it does. It honestly unravels a lot of the film after that. Well, it, it would have sold... This is the thing. This is the thing. If they just held on to that reveal, reveal and they both walked in you know, like they're in euphoria, as he said, I like the term, um, then you would have alleviated a lot of problems because, number one, you have the opportunity to build towards either that anger or drunkenness that would cause them to say, you know, their direct feelings, uh, which would create subtlety and subtext in the text before that. It would also leave you less exhausted because you're only exhausted for, say, half the film as opposed to the entire well, it comes, film. It comes back to, you know, we come back to the Blue Jay mold. That boiling point happens, and it's a, it is an exhausting fallout. But it only goes for fifteen minutes. It's a little. 15, it's one fight. It's one fight, and to be fair, the fallout scene in front of the supermarket when they're reading those like that's yeah. that's a heavy scene. The heaviness, but it all happens right at the end. Yeah, the heaviness only comes in that that yeah that twenty minute window, and it's, it's like a payoff. We got all of this light hearted, socially awkward, but we know that there is an elephant in the room, and we're going to hold off on it just enough. Yeah. Um, and that film was shot in less time. That was shot in one week. Look, I, look. I feel like I'm being. We're both being very negative on the film because there's a lot of things to pick at. There are, and 
I again, I respect the story behind it. I don't, I don't want to think we're being super negative of the film. No, I, I look. I think we both acknowledge that we think the performances are really strong, and we l- really like the cinematography. It's the script, really. And honestly, it's some really... of the directions are really frustrating too. I think. Well, in what in what way specifically would you say? It's probably it probably is the script majoritively, mm. but I do think some of the um, ways that he tries to like pad up the relationship with these little outbursts of of sexual tension oh, release. Okay, I see what you mean. I find them really frustrating because in a fight that groundbreaking, it just, like that defining, you just wouldn't snap in and out of I, that, like that moment. I guess they're trying to show sort of their, you know, we people make fun of the French. They're very sporadic. They, they're, mm. they're lovers and then they're, they're fighters. You know, I, I guess there's that element of it. You know, oh, look, they're creatives and they're crazy. I was surprised that she... I know she's an actress and that's part of the argument that she and wanted to be in the film. I, I but... thought some of the cinematography was really good, but I wouldn't say, oh, like, yeah, some parts were excellent, but some parts I didn't get much out of it. I think they used the space really well, but mm. there were times where it was just shot reverse shot, particularly in the monologue scenes where they didn't do... Why? The creativity came from actually the moments of silence or the moments yeah. of where diegetic oh. music would play and like that opening sequence or when he's walking around looking for Marie because Marie decided to yeah. disappear for five take minutes to take a pee where you're just sort of like, why is this? And I, I know... look, I, I get that, but it's like, I think that was clearly what they were trying to do with the monologues. They just want to have the camera rest on the two people. Yeah. And then you're right when it's silence and they can play with the camera more and do it. So I, I don't have a problem with that at all. Okay. Well, I just think that, yeah, I, I thought it was, yeah, it was pretty, yeah, it's pretty, it's great in the space. I right. think they used those. The utilizing of windows was really, really good. Oh, that's true. There are a lot of reflections um, in windows. And that's well, even just like solely. frame within frame shots. Yeah, they did yeah. a lot of those, and I really liked those. Um, Looking through the bedroom door, and she's framed. Yeah. Or the windows and that panty. Oh, that's my favorite shot is the tracking back and forth. And it's at least five minutes long. Yeah, I think... Um, but I don't think we're being super... I think the script is the, the, the thing, the piece of string that unravels everything yeah that's the unfortunate thing is this if the script's bad and in a I, film like this I don't, if the yeah. script is the weakest link it really does cascade into everything else because at the end of the day yeah. this is a film with two characters in one place and you know actors can add their own inflections and their own material and bring their own unique performances and we actually like the performances in mm. this film but some of their material and their, the way their characters are constructed, some of that they just can't get out of. And it makes it an immensely frustrating story to watch. Yeah, it. you're right. You're right. That, that's the unfortunate thing is like, you can just say, you know, I only had a problem with the script, but like the script could be like 95% of the film. Especially, you're right, in a film like this, that's so reliant on dialogue mm-hmm. and, you know, there's elements of blocking and performance and all of that. But I don't know. It, it's hard to do these kinds of films. It really is. And yeah. I want to acknowledge that, but and again, it's like they made this during COVID. I really respect that, but it's like a film like Blue Jay is shorter, sharper, more clever, and they shot it in a week, not two. And and it's on the same platform. They're both Netflix films. Yeah. So it, it's. I'm just saying, do pluses, man. They're kings, kings and, of the kings of the mini. And Malcolm might be listening to this review on his phone. He's paying a dollar ninety nine a month to listen to this podcast, which is strange because it's a free podcast. Yeah. And he may be calling us a bunch of idiots and we don't get it. 
but this is our job. <laughs> I think um, to give one positive okay. to the writing, I think there's some immense intelligence in his film student archetype writer. Right, yeah. yeah. I think John A lot Dave, of film references. I think, I honestly think that, you know, this artistic couple um, debate really well. And they're back and forth in moments when it's not about the argument, but it's more a debate about film as a whole or, yeah. or the, the industry as a whole. I actually think that there's an, uh, some real intellect in there. And some of the frustrations, and one of them does bleed into my my highlight scene. Um, yeah, we might have the same highlight scene here, to be honest. Okay, uh, what's your highlight scene? I was going to say, my highlight scene is, is that chain of Malcolm trying to find his phone, then his wallet, then his phone again, okay. and then reading the review. Yep, the review, the review <laughs> fallout, great. that one shot resting back and forth. The frame within the frame shot, he's going outside the house, he's running back inside the house, and he's just complaining about this reviewer is the best scene. And it's it's performative. It's it's when Zendaya is a bit more reserved, but she's still emoting. Well, yeah, she gets she gets a bit of a flow herself because she's laughing while watching because it's sort of that she almost finds it cute in a way that he's so passionate about it that he's angry. But you could also but see... But there's a bit of sadness. But yeah, time. I was going to say, there's definitely the undertone of sadness and frustration in her relationship that yeah. he really does have an ego problem. And he just can't look past the fact that he's flawed about something. Yeah. And... She drops like the Meg Ryan-esque line of, uh, and that was a good review. <laughs> That's yeah. how you react to a good review. Yeah. And I think her reserve reactions of what are amazing about that scene and his ability to really get a dialogue that he's never really had in any of his performances before because in mm. Black Klansman he's actually an immensely reserved performance um, he doesn't really get to have really big emotive a lot of the really yeah. big power speeches go to other characters in that film and in you know Tennant definitely doesn't get anything you can barely like that. call what anyone's doing in Tennant acting um, <laughs> it's all puppetry so this was the Nolan. first time he really got a full blown um, monologue and I really yeah I really enjoyed it um, and I like their discussions that they have about that sort of like particularly the one he hits the nail on the head where he's like it's this film that they like paint oh as this race drama political piece when it he feels when like it really has else. nothing to do with that just because he's an it's African American it really is and it comes back to the film is very self aware because obviously Sam Levinson is a white man who is mm directing this film about two you know african-american actors and i imagine there'd be some critics out there criticizing why is this white guy directing two african-american people yeah and i think the film does have quite a few meta elements to it which i yeah. actually quite like see um, i'm not sure i think people some people it's going to lose a few people with the inside baseball naming film names and it's true and that I, it's a filmy it's film lose some people yeah no i agree i think sometimes it's a bit a bit i mean i'm a i'm a film person so it's like <laughs> uh, but i i we think do, that is like get it you know in a sense we do get that i get the frust some of the frustrations as as a yeah. director for sure and that constant debate <laughs> of of oh just because i'm not in this category am i not allowed to touch that category at all but she then acknowledges wouldn't it, and then she actually has one of the best counters counter lines where it's wouldn't it have been better had you had some form of female influence on your female lead character? Well, that's what it comes... I mean, he literally says, the film would be better if I had cast you instead. 
But you're right. That argument but, is but there as well. Well. The, well, she actually says it earlier before yeah. that admission. Yeah. Where he That's goes, what I'm saying. It and leads he, to. Yeah. yeah. And he goes, no, absolutely not. Because I'm me. And it would be different if a female directed yeah. a female film. And there's truth in that line. But at the end of the day, this de- that debate is so... Like you said, it's such a niche where i've had those exact debates because my partner is a creative too and we've had that debate but obviously that's a very explicit i've had other partners where that stuff wouldn't even matter they just don't they They just people don't think about a lot of people don't think about this so it's such a you're right it's such a niche argument that it really fundamentally kind of yeah could lose some people or bore people yeah i it it's tough and like you're right we get the kick out of it because we we know exactly what he's talking about and uh i'd say 85 percent what he says i'm like i kind of agree with him one way or another mm. um i think he takes it too eager to, he says that thing to her where he's like, oh you're not a film you're not a film person so that's exactly what film but people's. that's the e- that's the ego exactly uh. that's six in there but um yeah that that's probably my highlight scene just because of the I, I love the little details and like she says like the wrong lens or something. Mm-hmm. Or he's like, it's the same lens, you dumbass. This is a tighter shot. Like that stuff was hilarious. That was so funny. Um, the only other thing I would even remotely call a highlight scene is the only time it felt like the film elevated a scene from a play to a film mm-hmm. was when she's pretending like, you know, she's, she's, you know, had sex with his friends and like she goes in that little performance she does and she taps the knife on the floor and it's sort of elevate. The sound of the knife is sort of, sharpening his brain and mm-hmm. like that felt like an actual movie moment everything else was sort of oh it's a stage play with blocking that yeah. felt like oh the film's actually doing something with its other tools yeah so i like i, I like that yeah no worries well malcolm marie is currently out on netflix watch if you dare no <laughs> watch if you dare yeah, uh, we just spoiled the crap out of it so <laughs> speaking of netflix jake what is new to streaming platforms and cinemas this week it's a very very chill week so it's the dry it's, it's the dry week <laughs> Coming to Netflix this week is News of the World. So this is the film we mentioned earlier in our Golden Globes discussion. Sees Tom Hanks play a Civil War veteran who must deliver a young girl across hundreds of miles to see her aunt and uncle, and they must face grave dangers as they search for a place either of them can call home. Um, So if you want to be up to date on the uh, Golden Globe race and probably the Oscars, uh, this comes to Netflix. Let's give it a watch. Uh, And the other thing, which uh, because we had our lockdown last week, Zeke, I think cinemas are sort of trying to catch up and figure out what's going on. Uh, so this doesn't come out this week. It's already playing. So this yeah. is sort of dropped. It's ready to go. Another round is suddenly playing at Luna. It sees Mads Mikkelsen and three other high school teachers consume alcohol on a daily basis to see how it affects their social and professional lives. I would like to watch this film. Yeah. So it's Should playing we today. watch this film drinking? <laughs> <laughs> Does that feel like something? Yeah, we get a drink at Luna. Why not? But we have to wear a mask. Do we have to wear a mask in the cinema? Oh, that's depressing. That suck. It's going to be an empty cinema. Come on. Yeah, that's true. That could be like the pro I'm going to ask the counter. Be like, what's the... Because here's the thing. I don't, the mask is Because they fine. might be cheeky. I reckon they might be cheeky. I mean, no, they there won't. Be, they will comply. You know, you know what it be? Yeah. There'll be that one guy in the front row who takes his mask off. Yeah. <laughs> there'll be that one guy. Ruins it for everyone. No, but seriously, because I'm fine wearing a mask, but if I'm wearing my glasses, I keep breathing into my glasses and fogging them up. Mm. Like I'm constantly well, do doing that. that. Damn, have your nose out. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, oh. <laughs> I don't like breathing my nose either, to be honest. But oh, okay, fair enough. Oh, so um, I'm gonna definitely catch another round. I think Minari. You actually said it. I didn't know this, but you told me it was the 18th. Mm-hmm. So um, 
you were actually on top of it before I was for once. Which, Whoa. Look at that. <laughs> no, it's because I always... Because I really want to see Minari. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm always looking this stuff up and I'm unaware when things change, so um, props to you there. But um, no, Zeke, I don't think we're watching either of these films next week. No, we're catching something different. But Jake, what are we watching? Next week on the show, Zeke, we're watching Punch Drunk Love. This is Georgia. This is Barry Egan. So what do you do, Barry? I have my own business. Uh, we have a non-breakable handle. Let me demonstrate for you. You're married, aren't you? No. Barry, what's your sister? There's this friend of mine from work, and I want you to meet her. This is Lena. Hi. Hi. Do you have a girlfriend? No. It must be weird for you to have so many sisters. Hi. Actually, no, it's very nice. All Remember right. we used to call you gay boy and get all mad? What's that? We were calling you gay boy and you got so mad. I saw your picture and I really wanted to meet you. Ha ha ha. Boy, you lying? No. I didn't want to get too far along on going out and be hiding something. This is Barry. Hey, it's Georgia. How did you get this number? I was wondering if maybe you could help me out with some money. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. You've just made a war for yourself that you can't afford. I'm going to Hawaii on Friday. Hawaii? I was thinking about going there. Really? I'm going to start a collection of puddings and coupons that can be redeemed for freaking flyer miles. That's insane. A frustrated Barry Egan calls a phone sex line to curb his loneliness. Little does he know that he will land in huge trouble and it will also jeopardize his new relationship with Lena. Zeke, it is nearly Valentine's Day. Yeah, so this episode next week on the show will go up on the 15th, um, right? Uh, is it the 15th or the 14th? 14th. Hold, hold. No, it won't. No, 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 it'll go up on the 15th. 15th, yep, you're correct. So just after. Um, But, yeah, obviously it's Valentine's Day week and because it's a little bit of a, a dry period, we've thought uh, we'd visit a Valentine's or romance-related film. Yeah, something in the romance category. Oh. Well, you, you suggested this to me, actually. I did, because this is a PTA film I've not seen, mm. and you rate as your highest. It is my pe- favourite PTA film. I haven't seen Magnolia, though, or Boogie Nights. <sighs> I haven't seen either of those films yet. Um, and I am a huge... I'd probably say if I was to peg my favourite director, it probably would be Paul Thomas Anderson, mm. so... But you, your favorite director, period. I would probably say wow, so. Wow. Okay. It's a big. Um, Jesus. I know it's a, it's it's such a title to give someone, isn't it? Like, who's your favorite? It's him. Was it's probably him or Scorsese? But yeah, fair enough. No, that's fair. I enough. would probably say yeah. I'd probably say I get more out of a Paul Thomas Anderson film. I think it's Scorsese, and it's simply because he's done so many films. I think he misses more than PTA would. I can't think of a PTA film that's missed. Yeah. Well, like, exactly. I really yeah. can't. Um, but PTA is also like. He just seems He's like selective. Huge, he looks He's like a huge dick, to be honest. Probably, <laughs> but all, all great artists probably are, uh, um, like Malcolm and Marie. Yeah, um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I definitely yes. This is a film I, I just thought I'd recommend. This is what most people consider one of Adam Sandler's best performances too. I I like prefer his performance here than in Uncut Gems. So I'm putting it out there because I can't think of. I don't uh, think you would agree with me though. I would say for him. It's this film gets brought up, um, and and obviously uncut gems and the other ones. Uh, what's the one where he's the comedian where he's dying? Funny people. Funny people. Uh, probably the three yeah, that's relatively more serious. Judd Apatow, I think. Yeah. Um, funny people's just too long. I can never get through it. Yeah, the first hour is fun. <laughs> that's all I'll say about that film. Um, but 
yeah, they're the three that, you know, obviously from his more serious side, I don't know if some people love Happy Gilmore. I'm literally wearing a Boston jersey. Yeah. Um, people love but, him in Happy Gilmore. I know. Even Mr. Yeah. 51st Dates. 51st Dates is excellent. Um, oh, we could have done that. No, no, no. We're doing Punch Drug Love. I'm looking forward to Punch Drug Love. Yep. Uh, getting, knocking that off my list and actually having a real big conversation. Because PTA films are great for that. Um, yeah. If you can try and sneak in another PTA film next week too. I might as well. I got really close when we did There Will Be Blood. Um, so I'll watch those other two. Mm. and I Boogie Nights that... is on Netflix. Yes, yes it is. Yeah. So that's not, not a And I've got Magnolia. And Magnolia is on Stan. Oh, there you go. I think it is, yeah. Um, so there you go. Magnolia is long, but it's worth it. It's worth it. Yeah. I hope so. Um, yeah, so, but until then, thank you for joining us for the Cinema Sideshow Podcast. I was Zeke. I was Jake. And we'll catch you next week with Punch Drunk Love. Mwah. <laughs> <laughs>